0: Hiya!
1: Before you start this episode, it's me again with your quick content warnings. So there's the usual Nazis, um, but this episode we've also got some discussions of fat phobia, and uh, let me check that I've got this correct: threats to murder a child. So it's a doozy. Have fun. Oh, are you ready to talk about these movies because they are they ooh. ooh this is a this, this is a mixed fucking bag.
2: Oh, same. Okay, yeah, I agree immediately. Yeah. But oh god, there's so many. I know last time there were 12 as well, but there was one we couldn't watch. Yeah. This time there were actually 12. <laughs> yeah.
1: For me, some of these are probably the highest heights we've ever had in this entire podcast. Uh-huh. And some of them might Possibly be the lowest lows. Actually, no. I don't think anything no. hit Chang.
2: <laughs> I don't think Chang and Trader Horn are always gonna. I I. Oh, I'd be so surprised if we find something that can. If we ever find something worse than Chang,
1: words. I feel like that's where we we can end the podcast. Like, there's no way.
2: <laughs> Our search for <laughs> search for Our the worst will have ended at that point. Yeah. No, I agree.
1: All right. Shall we um? Shall we roll the intro?
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, hello everyone and welcome.
2: Okay, let's go.
1: To I'd like to thank my wife. I am East co-host. Hello hello oh i did um, not hear a word you just said
2: oh my chair my chair was on my cable i am et host -host. (laughs) co-host
1: we are professional podcasters uh, (laughs) who are taking you through the entirety of the academy awards from start to present day yeah yeah we've arrived in 1936
2: 1936
1: honoring the movies released in 1935 the Academy Awards this year were hosted by Ampus president, Frank Capra, and we have a bit of a milestone year on come our hands. Up it, yeah, come
2: up and get it, Frank. Come
1: up and get it, Frank. Are you ready for the little milestone that we're going to cap off this first, I guess, year of our podcast with?
2: Oh, exciting. Yeah. This
1: is the first year in which the awards were officially called Oscars.
2: Oh my God.
1: Yeah. That's so cool. It's good, isn't it?
2: Our podcast starts making sense now.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's it's finally finally Oscars time. Oh, there wasn't that much going on this year. It it was pretty similar Mm -hmm. to just last year in most things. But one new Academy Award was added. The short-lived category of best dance direction.
2: Oh, I get that. There are so many musicals going on.
1: Oh, yeah, it's going to be eliminated in three years. But for now, we've got it. But for
2: now, it's cool to have.
1: Yeah, it's grand. I will give you a a cheeky little hint at our Best Picture winner, which is that this was the last year Mm -hmm. to date where our winner won Best Picture and nothing else.
2: But they won Best Picture and nothing else. Okay. Nothing else. Okay. Interesting.
1: So now I'm going to spend the rest of this podcast trying to not slip up and go, ah, but they won the Academy <laughs> they Award They won for... the other award. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, even if you do, I always forget which ones you say that about. So, Oh, that's absolutely true.
1: Them? Yeah. And we have 12 of them now, so there's lots yeah. of uh, Yeah. There is one movie that we didn't watch that is very significant that I want to mention immediately because mm-hmm. it's very award-related, which is that Best Actress nomination this year was Miriam Hopkins for Becky Sharp. And Becky Sharp was a color film. This was the first Academy award nomination for a color film.
2: Wait, with uh well for full color film then. Last time we had a little bit of color in this Yeah, a f- tr- full full color
1: full, ah, color. full color. Oh, yeah.
2: that's really cool.
1: Damn. Yeah. So, we're uh, getting yeah, n- there. no no cinematography yet. We're going to hit that next year. That is going to be that's going to we're going to hit mm-hmm. the ground running, but uh
2: Oh, I'm excited to see more color going into the next years.
1: Me too. I'm very excited that we're finally getting there, especially because I have a few fun facts about some movies where you're oh. going to really find out how the lack of color is um a thing
2: Oh I'm I'm really curious
1: it's crazy because this year more than any year before this I've really started to recognize some people.
2: Yeah same Oh like, so many. There was a
1: lot of them like I am getting very well acquainted with these 1930s Hollywood same. actors and it is kind of terrifying. I, n- I might know them better than I know like current Hollywood celebrities
2: Same it's crazy but I love it because there was also one movie we'll, we'll get there when we get there but there was one movie making all these references to other yes, movie stars yes. and I was like I know that name. I know <laughs> yep. what they're talking about. <laughs> I know why it's. Funny,
1: there's one person here who we're gonna see like what three fucking times. Oh my god, this guy, this dude! So, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, one final thing about these Oscars is it was the second and also last year that write in votes were permitted. Thank the Lord, yeah, they cut the write in votes after this. Yeah, but also, I think for several of these movies, they got more write in votes than they got actual, like. Oh. Yeah, than the actual nominees got, so...
2: Oh. Yeah, it's just, it sounds cool and democratic, but I don't think it really works as a system for this.
1: No, absolutely not. And then there's one more final thing about these awards, in that Mm. this is one of the only awards that we're going to revisit. Oh? Yes, we're going to revisit it in two years, because A Star is Born, which is one of our Best Picture nominees, has a major scene set at a fictitious version of the 8th Academy Awards specifically.
2: Yo, that's so cool! Yeah, right? I'm excited to see that. I mean, in general, just seeing the old version of that movie is going to be cool. Oh,
1: it's going to be really cool. But uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's start with these movies. Yeah! And starting off at the top, that would be Alice Adams.
2: Alice Adams is... A Catherine Hepburn movie, the second it time is. we're seeing her. Yeah. I like Catherine Hepburn. I like Katherine Hepburn. She does have a, lot. a very specific style of acting.
1: Mm. But I it feels sort of comfortable.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not super realistic, maybe, but it's
1: No, but it feels yeah. she feels like someone I would feel like just I'd feel nice being around her.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um the movie itself doesn't have that much going on it's mostly about the girl called alice adams based on a book also called alice adams i think it's mostly cool for young teen girls that are really into romance. it wasn't entirely my thing but Yeah. yeah it's basically about this girl alice adams and she is the only girl in town or at least the only one of the girls that she hangs with that is poor yeah. And none of the men really want to look at her because of that and that sucks because she is kind of a hopeless romantic. Yeah.
1: It's also not just that she is poor her entire family like her dad is yeah. he's not necessarily like poor or or unambi- he's a very he does his job and he does it really well, but he's sick and he doesn't yeah. really have ambitions to do bigger things. And his brother or mm-hmm. her, her, her brother is like, he's a chill dude and he's living his good life and he doesn't want for mm-hmm. more. He's chilling with, you know, the African-Americans, which is a, yeah. a big social embarrassment thing. And he's just like, nah, man, these are chill people. I like hanging out with them. I don't need more than that.
0: Yeah. But her
1: and her mother are very much like, no, no, we need to be high society.
2: Mm-hmm, exactly. Mostly her mother is constantly... Talking to her father, like, oh, we need to get more money because, you know, Alice isn't happy. And Alice doesn't show it herself, but she is constantly pretending to be richer than she is yeah especially there's this guy that comes along that's where the love story starts
1: Good old and Russell. she
2: keeps lying to him i think he notices a little because it's very obvious mm. <laughs> that she's lying but she is pretending that she's rich and oh yeah we do live in his old house but you know that's just because my dad can't let go of it because he's so attached to it but really that's the only thing that looks poor about us i promise um
1: yeah, this black woman who we've asked to cook for us is absolutely our maid and not just a woman who we've hired off yeah. the street for an evening. That's mm-hmm. why my dad doesn't know her name is just because he's such a silly... He he jokes like that. Such a silly goose.
2: Also, the servant is Hattie McDaniel, played by yeah. Hattie McDaniel, who is in a few years going to be the first Afro-American to win an Oscar. So that uh, Yeah, was cool I'm very to excited
1: to see Hattie McDaniel here, yeah. I think she's one of the first characters we've had that doesn't really have the typical black scent. Like, she just speaks like a normal human. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, except Imitation of Life. Except Imitation of of Life,
1: which was, yeah.
2: Other than that, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's phenomenal.
2: It was a fine movie to me. This one was kind of... It's not bad. It's fine. I just am not into it. (laughs) I'm not into the Romans and the, uh, you know, one and a half hours of... Oh this guy and i love him yeah we can't because he's rich and i'm not
1: (laughs) yeah it's um it sure is to be fair this was different in the novel hepburn did fight for that hepburn and the director because in the novel she doesn't end up with russell okay he does end up going well you know i'm very not in love with you anymore now that i figured out that you lied and
2: yeah, which makes sense because oh, yeah. in a movie it's like, oh yeah, actually, by the way, I lied about so, so many things. Yeah,
1: I know I'm, I've am i been systematically lying to you for the past yes, two months. Yes, and he's
2: like, that's chill, that's fine, that's I'm okay. vibing. Yeah. <laughs> Where, okay, maybe they could still end up together, but he could at least maybe say yeah, something the, about it. <laughs> the original
1: ending, because they changed a little bit from the novel in that Alice did go to get a job, but they, to get her like a, a secretarial school-like thing... And it ended with their relationship sort of up in the air, where the novel very definitively goes, no, no, they're done. They're cordial and they're nice to each other, but they're not going to get together. Romantically, the movie was going to yeah. be more like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe in the future. And then yeah. RKO executive said, what? No, 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 they have to get together. It's a romance movie. And Hebert <laughs> and Stevens said, no. And then George Cukor, you know, director mm. of so many things, said... Little woman. Well... I mean, I agree that your ending is more realistic, but it is box office poison. So they... Um...
2: Yeah, fair enough. It would be, I'd say.
1: Yeah. So uh, so yeah, they changed it.
2: Yeah. Hmm. I, 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 not for me, but I think if you're really into romance, then this is the better ending. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, and it, it's also what I should say here is that this movie sort of brought Catherine Hepburn back. Oh. Yeah, in retrospect, it is seen by people as one of her two or three finest performances. And the thing is that while Little Women was a phenomenal movie, mm-hmm. her popularity kind of declined afterwards. Because Little Women, it doesn't really make her look like a warm or kind person. Which, again, is that's yeah. the whole point. And I fucking love the movie. But I can imagine in a less progressive time... Yeah. People didn't like her much. And so her performance in Alan's Adams. it is said generally that this helped her portray like more warmth and vulnerability than she'd ever shown previously, which brought her back up to the top in the public's perception, which she personally has said that she's always viewed this as one of her favorite roles. So um, that's sweet. Yeah, it's quite nice. Should also say that this movie, she was nominated for Best Actress. She didn't win it. Hmm. Betty Davis won it, but Betty Davis did say more than once that she didn't deserve it, and the one who did was Catherine Hebron, so...
2: Oh, damn.
1: Yeah, this was generally seen as, like, massive.
2: Kind of surprising.
1: Yeah, with the knowledge that Catherine Hebron is just one of the biggest actresses ever, this doesn't seem that big of a... Like, this movie itself didn't seem like that much of a standout.
2: It's kind of mellow. It's not that yeah. outstanding compared to other movies we watched.
1: But... And even compared to the one Catherine Hepburn movie we watched, Little Women was way more interesting. Yeah, with, for know, sure. So,
2: um, Let's see, I do have a few notes. Yeah. Okay, so it starts with a dance, and basically Alice wants to dance with some men, but not really with Frank Dowling, because she always ends up with him, because no one wants to dance with him.
1: Yeah, because he's fat.
2: He is not even that fat. No, but he in isn't. movies, like, oh, he's fat.
1: Yeah, everyone's like, oh, he's stubby and he does a... And, and then he walks in, and he's just like, that's just a dude. This is and a regular dude.
2: Yes. And everyone, including Alice... I mean she's nice to him but they are like I don't want to be They're like so he's, he's that guy and then like we get to see him and we get to see him interact with Alice and he's so sweet he's, the he's such dude. a nice guy
1: he even goes well he I wanted to deserve. thank you for not being a dickhead to me followed by her yes. being a dickhead to him
2: <laughs> Yes, such a- everyone is so mean and he does not deserve it just as for Frank Dowling man
1: hmm. Frank Dowling for life man
2: he does dance clumsily, but I just thought that was Very, cute. yeah, on.
1: but I dance clumsily. Doesn't make me unworthy yeah. of love, Jesus.
2: Ex- <laughs> okay, let's see, let's see. Oh, yeah, so at some point, Mr. Russell, which is the guy that Alice is, you know, romancing, is coming over for dinner, and the whole family is trying so hard to pretend, right? To pretend that they're mm-hmm. richer than they are. They, they got this servant, not really servant, but, you know pretend to be servant and they yeah. got fancy food compared to what they normally eat. They have the dad dress up in a thing that doesn't really fit so every time he leans over his whole shirt bulges open basically <laughs> yeah. and I he lo- has to be very careful with that.
1: <laughs> Is that the line you've written down?
2: The, no it's The one not. where
1: he, he's, he like leans and it bulges and he goes oh, oh oh well at least it'll let some cool air in when yeah. it bulges. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah that was good but The whole visit, I couldn't, oh, I couldn't watch it. It's so much secondhand embarrassment. Because Mm. this Mr. Russell also doesn't say anything. Like, everything around him goes wrong. But he is just kind of silent about it. And you can just, you can just feel the pain, you know? Um, Yep. Like, at the end, even, they serve melted ice cream. Because they had ice cream, but it was really hot. So you can just see them eat this Melted, fluid. Mm-hmm. Ugh, no, no, nah, not. No, thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. It wasn't great.
2: <laughs> Any more facts? I have. Have we had them?
1: One tiny fun fact: there was a little disagreement around Catherine hepburn and director George Stevens about the scene after the party. Because in the script, she was supposed to fall onto the bed and break into to loud sobs. But Stevens wanted it to be a bit more understated. He wanted to just walk to the window and cry with the rain falling outside. Uh But Hepburn could not cry on command. So she just asked the director, like, hey, George, could I maybe, like, do this scene as it's in the script? To which he responded by yelling at her furiously, which made her cry so they could film the scene
2: can we Can we stop making it a thing where the directors are just making the actors very sad so they cry for, for a real. scene? Can we stop doing that For Perhaps. real,
1: it's method, but without the actor's permission, right? It's like
2: for yes, oh my god
1: so uh that was my my last fun fact oh, for this one
2: okay yeah, yeah <laughs> what is our next movie then The
1: Broadway Melody of nineteen thirty six the broadway melody of i 1946. fucking loved it was the Bro- so it was good. so good dude oh it was shit. So good. I, I was so going it. i was going into this one thinking oh for f- another broadway melody because yeah. i despised yeah, the first one and mm. this is the best fucking t- this it's is this was so amazing
2: holy
1: <laughs> fuck I'm uh, glad we
2: agree. The <laughs> musical
1: numbers are fantastic. It's a very simple story. Yes. It's someone who's trying to convince her high school sweetheart to give her a chance in his new like musical that he's producing. Uh, and there's like hijinks and they're doing like the whole dress ups and-, and impersonating people that don't exist. And it's like it's a whole fucking thing. Yeah. But it was phenomenal. The dance numbers were amazing. The songs were amazing. Oh, so the- good. The editing. Dude, For 1936, Uh Uh 1935 even, I was... They had
2: just, for example, mid dance the girls would change dresses, like the color. They would go from white dress to a black dress mid-move, basically, through the edit.
1: You could very clearly see how and where it was edited, right? Because it's a film reel cut into Yeah. but that does not make it less impressive for the time.
2: Yeah, it was really cool. I
1: was baffled and amazed by every single thing in this movie. I loved it mm-hmm. to bits. It was fucking hilarious. The physical comedy of the yeah, dude consistently so wandering into the office and decking this guy into the f- in the face and just making him go <laughs> like flying across the room.
2: They also have this bit where it's so random, but it is good where a guy is just his talent is snoring and he yes! knows all the possible ways in which you can snore he's what they sound like them. and he goes yes there's type 1 there's type 2a type, yeah, type type 7b B. and it goes yeah up to eight or something and the
1: fucking the payoff in the end the payoff in the yes. end when the two guys who is consistently telling about the snoring they're like jesus christ this is the boringest shit at the end they're talking like on the phone to someone and they hear a person snoring and they go hmm this might actually be a snore snore 8a and they're having a serious conversation yes. about it it's so it's good. Really good. This genuinely oh. might be, and I know I'm, I'm saying this more often as these episodes go on. I've noticed, mm. but I might actually recommend this one to modern audiences.
2: Yeah, if there is one that you would like to watch,
1: if you want to grab just one, just like one out yeah, of yeah, uh, this...
2: this would be a good one. Not
1: even because sure. I think it's necessarily technically the best movie, but just because I think it's out of these the most enjoyable. Contemporarily, if you watch it now, you are gonna have a great time with this.
2: Yeah, it's the most fun and it is a good example of what the movies were like in the 1930s. When it comes to musicals, it's just a very good one of those. It's
1: a really good musical, yeah.
2: There's a lot of musicals going on, you know, and I think this was the best one for sure.
1: And also, it has all of those, you know, those little jabs and and references. At some point, a guy goes, oh, you're about as effeminate as Wallace Beery.
2: Yes, I was like, I, that's funny, because Wallace, I, know that I know what guy. Wallace Beery looks exactly. like, and he does not look,
1: you At know, all, effeminate. yeah. It's fantastic. Hey. It's wonderful. It's so good. I also really liked, uh, sorry, I, I have a, one quote from this saved beyond that, uh-huh. which is um, when the guy who does, like, his whole thing is snoring, he's like, oh, I, I want to be in whatever the guy's name's play is. And um, yeah. they go, oh, really, you want to be in the play? What do you do? And he goes, I snore. And they go, ah, you're part of the audience.
2: Yes, I also had that screenshot. It's because
1: it's it was so good. <laughs> um, so that's it, it, a little bit more detail. Yeah, this woman really wants to be part of the show. Irene. Irene really wants to be part of the show, but he's too busy trying to find someone else to do it. And then there's this gossip journalist who like invents mm-hmm. a really talented performer, and he's like, a "Well, French you know, performer. yeah, this French performer." And he's like, "Oh, this French performer is in town." And um, she is the best performer ever. And the other guy goes, oh, I need this woman in my show. But she's made up. She doesn't Mm -hmm. exist. So eventually they find this out. And Irene decides to pretend to be the French girl. And it's, it's hijinks and... Yeah. Screwball comedy. And uh, can I just give a quick shout out to Una Merkel, who we know from 42nd Street, who was the receptionist in this. Yes. Because she was consistently the funniest person in this movie. Yeah, she was really good. She was hilarious. Holy fuck, did I love this woman.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. I was also immediately wondering if the story was the same as the Broadway Melody of 1929, which we watched for the second Academy Award. It isn't. Not sure why it's then also called the Broadway Melody. Maybe just publicity, but...
1: Uh. No, no, no. The Broadway Melody was the one with the um, the sisters that yes. were backstage. In the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a spiritual sequel to that, where it's someone trying to break uh... into show business. But there's two more after this. We're not okay. going to watch those because okay. they didn't get nominations. But there is the Broadway right. Melody of 1938 and the Broadway Melody of 1940.
2: I see, I see, I see. Okay, well... Uh... Could have still called it something else, but sure. Then "Foolin" is a song, and it's a banger. It's a banger. It's so good, mm. and oh my god, the performance of that was mm. also the staging. They would go around, and things would pop up. So mm-hmm. they were dancing, and a table would pop up, or like th- th- just there were just all the set pieces would just appear. It was really fucking cool. Oh, the
1: set in this is phenomenal. Yes.
2: Yes. And the guy, (laughs) I put magicing. that's not a word. The guy using quote-unquote magic to have the dresses of the woman turn into black dresses and then later they turn back into white dresses. Oh my Mm -hmm. God, I was immediately, oh, this is so much better than the first Broadway melody because that one was kind of boring. They change dresses mid move again, yeah. <laughs> and then Lillian's dress twirling towards the camera and covering it for a transition is so sick as well. Mm-hmm. Irene's introduction, the main character that we just talked about, is wonderful. I'm gonna. I have a screenshot. Of it. It's a conversation, so it's a bit long, but let me grab it. Irene comes into the office of Robert Gordon, who is the guy putting up a show, mm-hmm. and she says. To the assistant, the secretary, the Una Merkel, is this Robert Gordon's office of Albany? And the secretary goes, what's that? I say, is this Robert Gordon of Albany's office? Albany office? No, no, New York office. Yes, I know. But what I mean is, is this Robert Gordon's office in New York of Albany? See if this is it. You want to know if this is Albany's office of Robert Gordon's New York? Now you got me doing it. Now then, let's start from scratch. (laughs) Just who do you want to see? Bob. Bob? You mean Mr. Gordon? Yes. What's your name? Irene Foster. Of Albany. Why, yes, how did you know? (laughs) I'm psychic. Really? (laughs) I I think that's a good example of the kind of comedy that it has. At the start of the movie, the reporter gets told not to have only stories about whose babies are being born. Because that's basically the only gossip he reports. But not really enough gossip. It's not juicy enough. And his friend comes up to him. Bert, who do you think is gonna have a baby? Who? My mother. From now on, nobody's gonna have babies. You you can't stop my mother from having a baby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep.
2: Irene also has a Catherine Hepburn impression and it's so spot on. It's
1: so spot on, dude.
2: It's so accurate. If yeah. you've seen Catherine... I think that was honestly the point where I noticed how specific Catherine Hepburn's acting is because she did it and I was like, wait, that is exactly what it, what she sounds like. This is crazy. Yep. Um, Irene is played by Eleanor Powell and she dances phenomenally as well. Yep. And then I read that her last name was Powell, and I was like, wait, is she related to Dick Powell? She isn't. Just no. so we all are clear on that, she's not related to Dick Powell. Would have no. been good. But... but she
1: did choreograph her own dance routines. Yo! Yes. Bonus points.
2: And the dances, yeah, she she was by far the best dancer there. She like, was phenomenal. It was really cool. Yeah. One thing maybe to note about these movies, and it's with all of them so far, almost all of the dancing involves tapping. There's always tapping. Oh, yeah. And I think they record the sounds of the tapping separately because it will happen pretty often that the shoes don't match mm. the sound. And sometimes I, I'm i like, maybe it's just because I don't know what sounds the shoes necessarily make and it's just because I'm not an expert. But sometimes it's like, no, no, this is definitely not the sound she's making with her shoes right now. It's basically standing still and still I'm hearing click, click, click. Um, That's guns, yeah. Yeah, the final song was also cool, but I really preferred the opening number, probably. I liked Foolin' a lot.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, I liked Foolin' a lot as well. I'm gonna give you a little little spoilie here in that this movie did not win Best Picture. No! I know, because I've got a feeling your Foolin' copped the first Academy Award for Best Dance Direction, which it deserved. Big time.
2: Oh, yeah, it did. And also, it this did, this was the only
1: sure. one of our Best Picture nominees this year to be nominated for Best Story. Also deserved.
2: Yes, for sure. Both of them.
1: Yeah, there's some uh slightly interesting little fun factsies about this. Yeah. That I've got a feeling you're fully numbered. The reason that it won Best Dance Direction is because it was the first conceived in purely cinematic terms. Because none of this stuff that they did in the dance, like the, the stuff rising out of the set and the timing of the dresses changing and stuff, that could not have been done outside yeah. of movies.
2: Yeah, it makes complete sense.
1: Complete sense. We were robbed.
2: We were robbed. We were
1: robbed because in early August 1935, in several Californian cinemas, a preview of this movie was shown, which was 14,000 feet long, and it included at least three additional songs.
2: No! boo! I want
1: them back. Give, give yes, me, give me the fucking songs back, dude. They, they oh, it was so good.
2: I can't wait to see if I can find these on Spotify and play them every time and get everyone so annoyed.
1: Oh, straight (laughs) up, absolutely, no doubt. It was originally scheduled for four weeks, but the movie took about four months to complete filming. So this is technically the first ever sequel nominated for an Oscar.
2: Oh, I guess. It's
1: not completely a sequel because it has no story connection. Um, But the first time we're going to see that happen is in the 1940s. So that's going to take about 10 years to, to get there.
2: Okay, fair enough. If they categorize it as a sequel, okay. But it's not really. It has nothing to do with the first movie besides having the same themes.
1: It's a sequel in the sense that like American Horror Story has nine seasons that all don't connect. Yeah. The guy we talked about, The Snorer... Uh, Robert mm-hmm. Wildhack. He comes back in the next movie, in the Broadway Melody of 1938. I'm going to cover no. 1938 and 1940 right here because, you know, we're not going to yes. p- see those. In the next movie, he does the same thing, but with sneezes, and he's billed as the Sneezer.
2: That's so good. <laughs> it's so stupid. I, love, I love it to
1: bits. So, I'm going to talk to you about Eleanor Powell. Okay. She is the one who plays Irene Foster, and mm-hmm. she would become known... As potentially the best female dancer in 30s, 40s Hollywood. Alongside. Probably so. Yeah, alongside Fred Astaire as best male dancer. She kind of fell into that accidentally. Okay. She was spotted in a Fox screen test by MGM studio chief uh, Louis B. Mayer, um, who due to the very grainy quality of the test and the fact that it wasn't in color, thought she was African-American. Oh. Yeah. But then Fox cast her in a movie and they saw she wasn't African-American. And then Louis was like, oh, oh, we can cast her in something then. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) She didn't actually want to participate in this movie because originally she was slated for the role of the secretary played by Una Merkel and because she was too much of a neophyte to sort of confront them and be like, hey, I don't want to do this, she just decided, I'll do something ridiculous and get fired. So she went up to them and said...
2: (laughs) When the social anxiety is so bad. Straight up! She went up to the studio
1: executives, said, I want the lead role and a ridiculous amount of money, and they said, okay. (laughs) No! (laughs) Yep. So then she fell into this meteoric film career... That she was (laughs) never planning on.
2: That's amazing.
1: It's phenomenal. She did not perform any of her own singing vocals because she couldn't sing. So they linked her with a ghost singer called Marjorie Lane from the outset of her career. Now, Lane didn't do any other movies. She had like a short subject in 1930, but that was about it. So she had uh, an unknown voice. And Powell was never... This was her first movie ever, right? So... Mm -hmm. Everyone was just like, "Oh yeah, no, perfect. This is just what Eleanor Powell sounds like when she sings." And they kept Marjorie Lane under contract solely
0: to, <laughs> to, sing to sing for, for her. her.
1: And what completes that illusion is, of course, is that Eleanor Powell provided her own voice for several like smaller numbers that didn't really require any finessed singing, mm-hmm. and some mov- some required no vocals at all. So uh, this this she didn't... was
2: just getting that bank, getting that money.
1: Yeah. This didn't come out uh, until ages later, like a few decades afterwards, with all of the studio's history at his disposal, a guy called Jack Haley Jr. wrote narration for That's Entertainment. And he just said, oh, yeah, Powell was singing this song and this song with this person. She wasn't, <laughs> not at all. So oh my she God. did that really, really well. She did a lot of MGM movies after that. Uh, the success of her dance routines relied heavily upon production values because she choreographed yeah. her own numbers, as I said, but all of them were sort of identical in the vocabulary. So mm-hmm. what really made those work was the lavish sets the and sets the costuming. and, and, and Yeah, yeah uh, or she would incorporate a prop or in one of the movies that I don't think we're going to watch, but uh, she incorporated a dog. Or, Aww. yeah, in one of the one of the movies she did some hula moves in there. But there was one instance where she had to work wholly outside of her comfort zone. And it is a legendary, a legendary thing. Which is that after this, there was two more movies, the 1938 and 1940. Yeah. 1940 was the last one. And in 1940, Eleanor Powell, best female dancer in Hollywood, gets a duet with Fred Astaire, best Yo. male dancer in Hollywood. They only did one movie together. And it is a movie that was not at all that popular. But the fact that these people were on screen dancing together...
2: Together? That's insane.
1: Legendary stuff.
2: And it's not nominated? We're not even...
1: We're not even going to watch it. What the fuck? I know. I didn't know that I was going to be so invested in seeing Eleanor Powell dance with Fred Astaire. I didn't realize I was going to be living in the 1930s in my head. But here I am and I I want to see it now.
2: If this is the crossover of the century, it's man. It's insane. Come on. It's, it's crazy. We're going to sound insane to we... anyone Listen, that is not into this. But...
1: We are unhinged. <laughs> we're jumping at joy for Listen, moving guys. to color. We are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're, we're laughing at movie references to Wallace Beery. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: This podcast has done yeah, things no. to us
2: yeah like this oh is God. this is our
1: final episode of the year that we're recording now and it's right. i just to really look back this th- i i've been fundamentally changed as a person <laughs> and I, think, I think broadway melody of 1936 and the amount Confirmed. of joy i got from it yeah really really really, <laughs> really clearly establishes how much it's done to me
2: uh, yeah no yeah i agree same Anyway, I I think even though we may not want to, we should move on.
1: Yes. So, Captain Captain Blood. Blood?
2: Um. Yeah. I think for me, this one was kind of mid again. It's not that bad, but it's also not. mm, It's a bit long.
1: It's fine. It's pirates, but yeah. Spoilers: There's another pirate movie coming up that was better.
2: Yeah. There. Yeah. I also would say so. Probably. Yeah. Captain Blood is about a guy that's... His last name is Blood, so he is Captain Blood. should
1: also add his first name is Peter. Which makes the whole thing way less cool instantly.
2: (laughs) True. So he gets sold off and becomes a slave in Port Royal. But he kind of builds credit by... He's a doctor. So Mm -hmm. he starts tending to the higher-ups and whatnot. And they start to like him. But he is not into being a slave, surprisingly. So at some point... He makes use of an attack on the country to steal a boat and become a pirate. Yeah, he do, yeah. I I feel like this is a vague summary, but it is kind of what it is. Yeah, it's <laughs> there's just, also a woman, of course, it's which she falls in love with. It's just funky pirate adventures,
1: and he finds love, and they fight the bad pirates, and
2: yeah, it's funky pirate adventures. But getting to him becoming a pirate took takes way pro- too long. Every, I think I yeah. would have. Yeah, I would have yeah. enjoyed it much more if it because I think it's 2 hours and the entire first hour is not pirates even though later it becomes very clear that that is the main story. Yeah. So why do we take so long to get there? Well,
1: it's studios being incompetent because the reason they remake they they made this originally as a silent picture and then they decided mm-hmm. to remake it because Treasure Island and Count of Monte Cristo were treasure really fucking Yes, Treasure Island. fucking Shut Island. Shut That's how influential up. it is. <laughs> These were really good pirate movies or like adventure movies and they were like, Oh, we have a movie with um with ships that we can remake. And oh then,
2: yes.
1: Yeah. So we didn't like it much. Everyone else did, though.
2: Oh. Okay. It
1: became an immediate hit. The score also got an Oscar nomination, which is fair. I did like I mm. like the music was alright. And yeah, the, just some some really quick reviews to give you an idea. Blood is a spectacular cinematic entry, which while not flawless, is quite compelling. Its sundry little discrepancies, however, count against a more satisfying final tally. Huh? Like this is one of the the movies that made the write-in votes get abolished because the movie itself is not no. that fantastic, but. Despite not being nominated, Michael Curtis received the second highest number of votes for Best Director as a write-in, and Erich Wolfgang Korngold and Casey Robinson, who I want to very quickly make sure that I got this right, Erich did the music, and Casey did the screenplay. Both of them, also unnominated, received substantially more write-in votes than most of the official nominees. Huh because people just fucking loved a good pirate movie to be fair uh, if you look at them from a technical standpoint i'm sure that the pirates of the caribbean movies are not that great either but i i'll go to bat for them they're fantastic so (laughs) i guess this is maybe maybe sort of the great depression version of that of like maybe we just we just need some kind of fucking adrenaline man
2: i guess so i guess so Again, it's not bad. It's just not that entertaining. It takes too long, mostly. I think that's my main problem with it.
1: I agree, yeah. The reason that this is sort of interesting is because this is sort of a a prelude in that both Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone sort of make their first appearance in our podcast in this movie, and both of them Hmm. we are going to see again two or three years from now when they fight each other again in The Adventures of Robin Hood.
2: Oh, that's fun!
1: Yeah, which I gonna be think, fun. which I think, yeah, it was indeed a, a nominated for best picture, and I'm very excited for that, especially because not only is Errol Flynn obviously like a pretty big name, Basil Rathbone would go on to play Sherlock Holmes. He, he's the most famous Sherlock hey. Holmes actor. So that's a, th- we have some really big actors in this who are going to go on to do really big things. I but did for now, not
2: realize for now they are not that. Famous for now, they're doing Captain blood. I'm surprised though. The guy that... What's the name of the guy playing Captain Blood? Uh, Errol Flynn. Yeah. His face is not that good. It probably doesn't help that his haircut in this movie is the worst. It's It's so bad. And it's this thing, right, where I get it. Historical accuracy and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. But if you make... A haircut looks so bad that I'm gonna get Distracted by it for the entirety Of the movie then maybe don't do it And also his face is just
1: His face works for Robin Hood because Robin Hood is supposed to be Like this sort of kind Gentle thief Captain Blood is not supposed to be that And he looks way too gentle To be you know a pirate He He just looks like oh this is such a I could give him a little hug but he's you know Not Mm -hmm. and it Doesn't it doesn't really scan for me
2: I also, I'm not sure what I meant, but I know that I... What does it mean? I think halfway through my notes, mm-hmm. I wrote down, I just realized Captain Blood is ugly man. <laughs> what? <laughs> halfway through the movie, I just realized he's ugly man? I'm wow. so confused. I'm confused at my own notes. What is going on? I don't know. Um, I did also notice that There were some bits, not the whole movie, but I felt like there were some bits that had a bit of German Expressionism to them because everything, not everything, but most of the things that were filmed inside had like harsh shadows and fake looking backgrounds. It wasn't entirely the Expressionism, but Mm -hmm. it was giving that vibe a little. But it was also weird because every time they went outside, it didn't have that anymore. Very weird stylistic choice.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: There was also a really good cut I thought, where a man gets branded, and it cuts oh. to a rich guy going, "What a cruel shame that any man is made to suffer so," and it almost seems like he's yeah. having compassion, but it immediately pans to him having a broken ankle—not Or not even a broken ankle, like a sprained ankle yeah. or something. It doesn't. Yeah, and it's such a it's such a good way of showing, you know. The rich and powerful versus a guy that just got branded. It's... It was impressive.
1: Yeah, I really like that as well. I think... that So, to be fair to this movie, right? Our biggest complaint is that it's just too long. This is one of those movies where it was originally cut. Like, 20 minutes were cut from it. Because they wanted to fit it into a double bill with Seahawk from 1940. So that was sort of like the version that people know that was the, the version of the zeitgeist and that's the version that people really liked and then you know obviously now they've restored all this lost footage but that yeah. means it drags
2: right okay that makes
1: sometimes sense. studio interference is good sometimes movies need to be shorter
2: sometimes when they're on the boats the backgrounds look so fake
1: oh severely but there was there's a few more movies here where, <laughs> where...
2: oh yes oh yes Ooh. but I get that they didn't have the resources that we have now, but I'm sure they could have done better than this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this was bad.
2: There's also a sword duel towards the end, which is really cool. That Mm -hmm. was epic. Epic sword duel. Should Mm -hmm. note here,
1: Basil Rathbone, who was in said sword duel, was acknowledged to be the finest fencing actor in Hollywood because he studied it in his youth. And then during World War I, like during his military service, he twice won the British Army Fencing Championship. But because he looks a bit evil, he always played the villain and therefore always loses his jewels, even though he's the <laughs> most skillful fucking dude here. He did some famous ones besides, you know, Errol Flynn. Now he he fought Denny Kay and he fought Tyrone Power. Uh, and he consistently said that these people were more skillful at fencing than Errol Flynn in this movie. So, oh, poor well, Errol.
2: Sorry, Errol, you tried, yep. but... You failed. I do have quote. Good for it. Captain Blood is trying... He's figuring out how to make his escape. Because before the whole attack on the country, he is already making a plan to leave with other slaves. Yeah. And he has this guy that needs to sit down in the boat early so they can leave fast, I guess, when they arrive at the boat. And he says to this guy, then all you've got to do is sit here and wait for us. And the guy goes, is that all? Wait all alone in the blooming dark, waiting for someone to come along and nab me? <laughs> and Captain Blood goes, not all, my lad. There's just one other little thing. Could you find me a good piece of timber about so thick and so long? Yes, I think so. Then do so and lash it to your spine. It needs stiffening.
1: <laughs> yup.
2: Uh, yeah, that was everything I had on Captain Blood, honestly.
1: Okay, well, there's a whole bunch of facts about this, but mostly historical facts that we're not going to get into. No. But there's a few uh, few interesting little cheeky little bits in here. The sequence in which uh the Spanish pirate ship comes up and interrupts the whipping of Captain Blood, there's a very similar tableau in Disneyland's Pirates of the Caribbean, right? There's a big chance that they just... Screened this movie as research for that ride
2: Yo That's that's pretty sick sick.
1: This movie did directly contribute to the creation of Pirates of the Caribbean The movie So Okay let's go Fantastic stuff Lionel Atwill Who plays Bishop in this movie Mm Hmm He was an A-list character actor, but later he found work on these big budget movies quite hard to come by because he stood accused by the LAPD, never convicted, but accused of hosting, and I would like to very specifically quote this, an infamous orgy at his Hollywood home.
2: Oh. Yeah. Oh.
1: So from that point onward, his roles consisted largely of supporting parts in, in horror sequels. Yeah. Infamous orgy. Imagine how how what must your orgy have been like (laughs) for it to become infamous
2: infamous
1: it's incredible the whole score was done in three weeks so
2: oh that's really fast
1: bang on yeah let's see this film has a hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes.
2: No, stop it with the hundred percent ratings for films yep. that are not hundred percent. Yep. Well the same with Lady for a Day, which was a good movie, but
1: not hundred percent good. Well, it's fun that you did. You just mention the Divine Lady.
2: No, I oh. mentioned Lady for a Day. Lady for but a Day. Dang it, the Divine Lady.
1: Well, so the thing about the Divine Lady is that uh, some of the ship to ship combat was taken from that.
2: Oh. Yeah.
1: It's also one of the very few movies where Errol Flynn appears completely clean shaven, which might contribute to his, his contribute baby face. to ugly Man <laughs> maybe yeah perchance although they worked together 12 times total errol flynn and director michael curtis disliked each other intensely
2: no why yeah. would you do this why would you do this to yourself i
1: don't know let's see six editors worked to reduce the sixty thousand feet of film to 11 reels in time for a christmas release
2: Ooh.
1: errol flynn wrote a biography and in oh. that book, he states that he played many fun pranks on Olivia, his romantic oh, lead no. who was 19. One of them was leaving a dead snake in her underwear. What the fuck? Yeah, isn't that just so wacky and Whoa, fun? That's
2: so funny. Isn't that such a quirky
1: prank? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Jared Leto who? <laughs> The final battle sequence between, like, the pirate crew and the French ships used one of the largest technical crews ever assembled for a film for that That time. That makes sense. The battle scene also required 250 extras. This was essentially 1935's, like, Battle of Helm's Deep.
2: Okay, okay.
1: They had to reshoot a lot of Errol Flynn's scenes... Because he was so nervous during early shooting, because it was his first major starring role, that they had to no. retake it later in production when he had gained an acceptable level of confidence. Oh, Yeah, it's kind of a vibe. He was also ill with malaria during filming, so that probably did not help.
2: Oh, that definitely did not help.
1: Nope. Uh, and then one more teeny, teeny, weeny, tiny, weeny fun fact, which is that a bunch of years later, in 1962, Errol Flynn's son, Sean Flynn... Would go on to star in a sequel to this film called *The Son of Captain Blood*. Oh, that's cute. That's, that's a cute, vibe, right? So yeah, that's uh, that's Captain Blood.
2: That's Captain Blood. All right. Good time to move on
1: to David Copperfield. No. Yeah. Why no? I thought this was all right. No. No, it was fine. No. To be fair, I quite <laughs> like Charles Dickens.
2: I've never read anything Charles Dickens, so I'm not really sure mm, fair. if I like or dislike him, but I feel from the vibe that it's, to me, a bit boring.
1: Yeah, for those of you who, you know, it's, it's David Copperfield.
2: Child who keeps getting moved to different homes because his mom dies and his new father sucks, who sends him to family, then he runs away there because he doesn't want to go back to his abusive dad. Goes to his aunt, and at his aunt, he needs to leave because he needs to go to school. And then we're, I think, halfway in the movie, and he grows up, and we get the adult part of his life. Yeah. It's... It's fine. It's alright. Just a bit boring to me.
1: That's fair. It's, It's, again, I think one of those things where, at the time, this was, like, a really sort of fresh thing, but now there's been so many movies like this where it's, like...
2: Yes, but it's also it's directed by the same guy as Little Woman, George Cooker. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I was three quarters into the movie and I went... Pacing-wise, I feel like it has a similar vibe to Little Woman. Whoa! George Cooker also directed that! I didn't realize! I'm so good at movie analysis! <laughs> <laughs> but Little Woman was so much more captivating. This one doesn't cover it. I think it's mostly because of the source material that this one is not as good as Little Woman, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, that, but that's also because Little Women, it just has more meat to it. This is a story about, you know, mm. the story is the pull, and for Little Women it's the story's good, but the thing behind it is the pull.
2: Yes, and there's just, there's so many characters in David Copperfield mm-hmm. and a lot of them are not as fleshed out. I feel like David himself doesn't have that much of a character, especially yeah. as a child. And then There's too much shit going on, honestly, because Mm -hmm. I don't really get the time to care for any of these characters, which is, of course, it's also part of the story that David doesn't really get to be in a home for very long. Yeah. But near the end of the movie, they do get back to all these characters like, oh, yeah, no, not not Emily dying or leaving. And I'm like, I don't remember Emily. I don't remember her because she was there for five minutes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this this is a bit of a a bit of an issue with it.
2: The aunt is the same one from Little Woman, played by Edna May Oliver, and I love mm-hmm. her. She's wonderful. Yep.
1: She plays Betsy.
2: David Copperfield is also starts with a Christmas theme, which is perfect timing. and was fun very good to timing. See that.
1: Yeah, yeah. A lot of Dickens stories are Christmas stories. Not entirely. Oh sure yeah, now right, that but... you
2: say so. Yeah. Yeah. Also, when he runs away from the family basically and tries to go to his aunt he has to walk like 70 miles and he's really having a time with it so he arrives and he is completely torn down yeah and the aunt is like oh oh heavens oh and she wants to help him and to quickly feed him she grabs salad dressing and she just pours it into yep. his mouth. And it's like, here, chuck salad dressing. That will do you good. And that was wor- that was bad. I was like, ew, what? It gets worse. She then next grabs the anchovy sauce. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're making this kid... Oh. Yep. Yep. That's so gross. That's so gross. Yeah, it was no ideal. Don't chuck anchovy sauce, please. Yep. <sighs> well... One more thing to maybe mention is that David marries a woman called Dora. Mm -hmm. And oh my god, Dora is annoying. So annoying. And she's sweet. She's fine when it comes to being a good person. But she is so stupid. And it feels like her whole character just exists for David to realize that the girl he should actually marry was there all along because yeah. it's the girl that was back at one of the homes that he lived at. Yeah, and it's so annoying because the whole Dora bit seems so unnecessary. She dies. She she gets sick and dies. And no. Yep. No point. Just annoying to watch.
1: Yep. Yeah. That absolutely scans. Yeah.
2: Basically, to conclude. This is one of those movies where I have, what you have previously mentioned in some episodes, like Cavalcade. It's too broad of a story for me to really get invested. It feels like there's so Mm -hmm. many small stories and none of them interconnect quite well enough for it to work for me.
1: Yeah, it's also because, like, it is. It's a very hefty book. Originally, the director considered filming this as two separate movies, Mm. that's the level we're working at here yeah and also louis v mayer the boss of mgm didn't necessarily want to make this movie it's one of the few times he really failed to properly predict popular taste because essentially when mgm produced film adaptations of classic novels they did that a lot but they were usually considered prestige pictures which were expected yeah. to lose money at the box office but gained them you know rapport as making good movies So they fought for this movie. They, I think they fought for like a year to get this made. Louis B. Mayer doesn't really like making classics because he was like, well, you know, the people who haven't read it aren't going to like it. And the people who have read it are going to be disappointed that it doesn't follow it T to T. So it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. what's the point? But after a year, he finally gave the dude a million dollars and was just like, okay, fuck it, make your movie. (laughs) And then it grossed nearly three million dollars total oh yeah
2: oh guy yeah. was wrong
1: guy was completely wrong very wrong entirely I would have wrong.
2: expected the same as him but
1: yeah no Well,
2: yeah, good for him good on them
1: and as a bonus they got a little best picture nomination out of it as well so uh isn't yeah that great? exactly
2: yeah. just a little one just a just little a teeny
1: tiny little
2: uh prestigious
1: yeah you know Just to quickly add, I like that for the main title of the film, they use the full extended title, which I obviously believe to be better, which is The Personal History, Adventures, Experience, and Observation of David Copperfield the Younger, which he never meant to publish on any account.
2: (laughs) I like that a lot better as well. Yep. Honestly, that title in itself would have probably made the movie movie better. better. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Do do you have any more um, things?
2: No, I have no more.
1: Okay, well, I I have some more. I have a few more, just a teeny tiny couple ones. The opening of the movie, obviously, is the last sentence of Charles Dickens' preface to the original book, which is, like many Mm. fond parents, I have in my heart of hearts a favorite child, and his name is David Copperfield. Yeah, that was cute. It's adorable. I'm going to start with a sad fact, because let's get it out of the way. John Buckler plays Ham, and Ham drowns in the movie. And a year later, John Buckler also drowned. Oh, yeah. that is sad. <clears throat> that's a that's a sad fact, but an interesting one. Basil Rathbone is in this again. He was uh, Mr. Murdstone, and he was kind of uh. afraid of how the audience would judge him for being so evil. So whenever they weren't shooting, Rathbone would go out of his way to be as nice as possible to Freddie Bartholomew, Aww. who plays Tiny David Copperfield. So just inviting oh, him to sweet. his house or taking pictures with him to Show the public that he was not like, you know, an evil person
2: Oh, okay, that's cute It, it also has Lionel Barrymore who was Klingerlein in Grand Hotel I just didn't yep. recognize him
1: No, he was, he was but very... But it does yeah, have him He's in there, absolutely he's in there yeah, uh, so a lot of stuff or, or and several major characters actually were already omitted from the novel to keep the running time at 2 hours. Uh, Jesus. So, yeah, it could have been
2: Which was already I love me these movies, right? But once they're more than 2 hours, it tends to be too long. Yeah. There's exceptions. There's exceptions. Like Wings.
1: Like Wings, but n- not every movie is Wings. <laughs> Eight
2: episodes in still mentioning Wings, but yeah.
1: We'll never stop mentioning Wings, let's be honest. We'll now. never stop So, we're going to have a little interesting detour into characters that were almost cast as different actors. Ooh. Yeah. Originally, MGM wanted to only make this movie if we could get Oh, Jackie Cooper as David Copperfield. Hey, Hey. that makes sense. But the director wanted someone who was less American. And also Jackie Cooper was already 12. So playing an eight-year-old kid would have been a bit off. So they cast Freddie Bartholomew after an extensive casting search in both the US and the UK. And he traveled to America with his aunt who, some say, effectively kidnapped him and took him to America against his parents' wishes.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: Again, you know, rumours and hearsay, but knowing what we know about the way child actors were treated in Hollywood, I, I wouldn't be deeply shocked. I'll be, you know, No. Yeah.
2: Not ideal. Not ideal.
1: And originally, Mr. Macabre was Charles Lafton.
2: Hey! hey. Oh my god, more? Even more. more?
1: It would have been even more. He was made up with a bald cap uh, and the whole thing. After two days' work, he disliked his performance so much that he was like... No, I want to be replaced. He said that he looked as though he were about to molest the child. Um, oh,
2: no. Yeah, so they okay, were like, I, he, he was
1: like, I, no, get some, get someone else. So they got in W.C. Fields, who was a comedian and Dickens scholar. He was also someone who was very well known for ad-libbing things in movies, like little, little lines and, uh-huh. and whole comedy bits and stuff. And it is said that there was only one movie that he performed Entirely to script, and that's this one. Oh. He loved the book so much and he wanted so desperately to play Mr. Macabre that he agreed to completely forgo his usual ad libs and put aside his massive distaste at working with child actors.
2: Oh um
1: Yeah. The director said that he felt Fields was born to play the part. Some of the stuff that he wanted to ad lib but which was denied was that he originally wanted to add a juggling sequence. And when that was denied, he wanted to do an anecdote about snakes, which was also denied. And there was one thing that did make it in, which was a suggestion for a visual bit where he uh, accidentally dips his quill in a teacup instead of an inkwell. But that was within the parameters uh-huh. of the character, so it was fine. Okay, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it and yeah. was, it was allowed. That's all the, all the fun facts I have.
2: All right. Well, then we can do the next movie.
1: The Informer.
2: The Informer. Now the Informer is different. It's not it like the other it girls is. No, um, one of
1: these one of these movies doesn't belong here and it's the Informer. <laughs> oh, not in the sense that it doesn't belong here, as in it's not good enough, but in the sense that like it's 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 an odd duck.
2: Yeah, basically it's art house. And yeah. maybe now the Oscars are generally more art house nominations, but back in the day this was mostly popular movies or at least Yeah. Style wise, they were more "quote unquote" normal movies. Mm-hmm. The Informer, though, cinematography wise, writing wise, it's just it's it's very art house.
1: Yeah, this is one of the first movies that was sort of considered the greatest American movie ever, the greatest American sound film ever. Oh wow! Which I understand.
2: Yeah, I get that as well.
1: If you're not used to movies like these, back in you know, 1935, 1936,
2: mm-hmm. this is new.
1: This is new. This is wild.
2: For the story, it's about a guy named Jippo. Mm -hmm. And Jippo is very poor. And he has a girlfriend that makes a comment about, you know, not being able to leave the country and being poor. She doesn't like it very much. And he sees a sign that goes, well, we will be giving 20 pounds for this and this person. And this and this person happens to be Frankie, who is Jippo's BFF. And Jippo becomes the informer, like the title says, and tells the police where to find him. And Frankie ends up dead. And after this, everyone is kind of looking for who was the informer, who got this guy killed, who got Frankie killed. And the rest of the movie is Jippo trying to not be found out, trying to hide the fact that he was the one that informed. While also spending the 20 pounds before he can even get them. To his girlfriend, basically. She does end up getting eight pounds from him, I think, in total. Mm -hmm. But before that, he spends a lot on drinking. He treats everyone for drinks. He gives some to a blind person? Blind person? Deaf person? I don't know. Someone that's walking around. He just gives it. And he becomes very drunk and just spends it. um, Yeah. I mean, for context, 20 pounds back in that day was 1,200 pounds now. So... He spent that money in one night. He did. He was quick about it.
1: <laughs> yep.
2: But yeah, overall, it's mostly the cinematography, I'd say, that's different. It's a bit darker, for sure. It's less flat. It doesn't have the same flat lighting that most of the movies have. And it has much more camera movements as well, mm-hmm. compared to the usual, just being stuck to medium shots everywhere. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. I'm into it.
1: It's really cool. It's also... It's a movie that goes a lot deeper than most other movies here because it's very... It doesn't mention the IRA by name, but it's very much about the IRA. Ah. It's wildly fascinating. They had to not mention this because otherwise they were going to be censored in the UK. Which, you know, the UK right. doesn't really do that that much. It doesn't much, have but the
2: whole censor thing, not the Hays Code.
1: No, but the Anglo-Irish conflict was such a big thing back then that they were like... You know, here they submitted the script, and the British Board of Film Censorship was like, "We, you need to change this and this and this, otherwise we're just not gonna, it's not gonna happen." End of. Oh my god, it's wild! This is a really interesting movie for its time, and even now it's an interesting movie, but from a different angle, I suppose.
2: Yeah, for sure. Let's see, I do have notes once more. Oh no, not starting with a bible quote. Listen, I've done this myself in a short movie I made mm. and I have regrets. I was about to say <laughs> it's not it's not good. To be fair, uh, I the- mean there are exceptions, but I did not like it in this one that much either. Well,
1: to be fair, the difference between this movie and your short film is that this is it's sort of a, a, a portrayal of that as well. But also, <laughs> this is sort of a portrayal of like a lapsed Catholic rediscovering his yeah. lost faith. So it makes sense for there to be a biblical quote.
2: Fair. I think I would maybe prefer it to be at the end then, because it starts oh no, yeah. so heavy and it's immediately pretentious. Yeah. I
1: feel like it would have been a lot stronger had they done it at the end.
2: Yes, Exactly.
1: Yeah, especially because the line I've I've looked it up it's then Judas repented himself and cast down the 30 pieces of silver and departed which knowing the ending of the movie that would have fit brilliantly. So
2: good. Yes.
1: So yeah, it would have been I think it would have been stronger if they stuck it at the end but
2: Yeah, I agree for sure. Gippo, <laughs> you asshole, 20 pounds for your bestie's life.
1: <laughs> for your bestie's life. Yep. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I also thought it was really interesting. There was this character that was trying to make use of his money, which was Mm -hmm. also felt like a comment on society or a little bit, right? It's the character that basically spends Jippo's money for him and he is nice to Jippo all the time. And then at some point he also gets angry at Jippo and he's about to leave, only to find out that Jippo has more pounds with him. And he's immediately like, oh no, but we were always friends. And then he brings him to a party and gets him into trouble. And yeah. yeah. The music was very well timed. Mm. I felt like it was definitely made for this movie. I mean, that's always the case. Not always. A lot of the time that's the case. Mm -hmm. But it was just very well timed to specific things that were happening in the movie. Yeah. It's a bit film noir, actually, I thought.
1: A little bit, yeah.
2: Yeah, it it feels also like the music is... It, it has the feel of silent movie music, but mm-hmm. there is also dialogue. It's not a silent movie, but it has the the music has, has the same kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Um, this is one of those
1: movies that I would recommend if you're into sort of like the art of movie making rather than...
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I ended it off with going... Pretty cool movie in almost all aspects, but it was a bit too long for the story it was trying to tell in my opinion. Could have been a short.
1: Yeah, that's that's fair.
2: It didn't drag, but it was just I think a short movie would have done the same.
1: It could have been tighter. Yeah. Yeah. There's some fun facts about this. So, this is the first of a three-picture deal between Arceo and director John Ford. You know John Ford? Yeah. And despite its deserved reputation and, you know, Oscar nominations, it was a low-budget production coming in at only a quarter of a million dollars. Hmm. They were also sort of reluctant to make it because it had already been filmed in the UK in 1929, so it was sort of a remake. Okay. Let's see what else we've got. This is the only film ever to win the New York Film Critics Circle Award for Best Picture by a unanimous vote. On the first ballot. Oh. Damn. Yeah. They were like, hey, here's some options. What do you guys want? And they just unanimously, everyone voted for someone. Yeah.
2: Okay. I can see that.
1: Yeah. It was originally a box office failure, but it made millions when it was re-released. 129 cuts were made by the British censors. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) That's a record, in case you were wondering.
2: Yeah, I figured. Wow. Wow.
1: Any references to the Black and Tans, to violence, the Irish Republic, to support for the Irish cause, all of that was removed.
2: Yeah, um, that's why I didn't catch on on
1: that, I yeah. think. It's also because if you know the history of the Troubles, it very quickly clicks into place, but it's such an ignored part of European history mm-hmm. that no one really knows about it. So it's, you know, cutting everything from it is very effective because no one's going to go, oh yeah, it's about the Troubles. A presentation copy of the script was recently found on a garbage pile in Wisconsin. Oh my- yeah. Wait. It, wait oh, okay. It was brought on Antiques Roadshow, where it was appraised for about $4,000. So. Okay, that's sick. Everyone check your garbage piles for a script from the 1930s. <laughs> um, there was a few interesting things that John Ford, as a director, did in this movie. Uh, he was concerned that the scene where uh, Gippo, drunk, goes into the brothel, he was concerned that that scene might not pass censors. So they came up with the idea to put the cats in hats, a.k.a. have all the prostitutes wear hats indoors, making the censorship boards not think they were prostitutes. This worked.
2: (laughs) This worked? Ah, yes. Yeah. The audience surely is smarter than this uh, board of censor. Okay.
1: So the day before shooting Gippo's trial scene... Uh, He also told Victor McLaglen, who plays Gippo, that he wouldn't be needed the next day, so he should just take a break, enjoy himself, don't worry about his lines too much. So McLaglan proceeded to go out drinking, which Ford knew he was going to do, and the next day he was forced to film that scene with a terrible hangover, which was exactly what Ford wanted.
2: That's kind of funny.
1: I like that one a lot more, because it's like, he's doing it himself. Right? He's making his own He's doing it himself,
2: and it's not as awful. I mean, obviously, not great to be working with a hangover. Yeah. But, like, it's not a dead snake in your underwear.
1: Yeah. Well, now that I've told you this, I'm going to give you this story from Victor's side. Because John Ford apparently did not just do this, the the funny little story that John told. He continually kept Victor off balance by getting him drunk, changing his schedules, verbally abusing him on and off set, and filming scenes when he told MacLachlan that they were only rehearsing. Oh. so That's
2: less fine. That's less
1: fun. This funny little story of him coming to work the next day with a hangover, and like, oh, we got to film your scenes with a hangover, ha ha. What this actually was was ford reducing maclaglen to a trembling wreck by bringing him into the studio early and extremely hungover and shouting at him to spit out his lines oh maclaglen oh. was so furious over this that he threatened to quit acting and kill john ford
2: oh things escalated a little oh. yeah
1: smidge somewhat
2: oh oh escalation a
1: little escalation yes
2: why are these film sets also toxic?
1: It's insane. So, I have one more fun fact on this. Okay. And it's one that's going to leave you a little bit in the middle. Because this film technically won an Oscar. Uh huh. This movie got the Oscar for Best Writing Adapted Screenplay by Dudley Nichols. But? But Dudley Nichols declined. Oh! He turned it down because of union Why? disagreements.
0: Oh! This is the first
1: time an Oscar was ever declined. So I am gonna leave it up to you to interpret whether that means that this movie right. has won an Oscar and is therefore no longer eligible, or whether it was declined and therefore it doesn't did. count.
2: That's so interesting,
1: fascinating, but isn't it?
2: How do you how do you decline? Do you, you just... simply
1: say no and you do not take the statue?
2: Huh? Super interesting. Yeah. I do have a quote to end up on, which Mm -hmm. is more of a funny quote again, but I forgot I had it, so... Go for it, yeah. (laughs) At some point, Jippo accuses another guy of being the informer, just a random dude, and he says, well, yes, this dude informed because Frankie did something to his sister, Mm -hmm. to this guy's sister, and he's angry about it. He was angry about it, so he informed. And... At the end, they have this big meeting to find out whether it was Jippo that informed or this guy. And the main guy doing the questioning asks one more question. Did you bear anyone a grievance? About your sister Susie, I mean. And the guy goes, me sister Susie, is it? Sure, me sister Susie's name is Mary Ellen. (laughs) For the past 28 years, she's been living in Boston, Massachusetts. She's the mother of eight. And to top it off... The guy asking the questions goes, that's enough. And the man says, it is that. <laughs> Talking about the children. <laughs> yep. it, it is enough children. It you is know? enough.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> um, I have one teeny tiny one here. Mm. Which I, I only have it for this movie. But I'm actually...
2: Actually When
1: Frankie McPhillip tells his mother he travelled to her house via O'Connell Street and um, in nineteen twenty two when this movie is set, O'Connell Street was still officially called Sackville Street.
2: <laughs> That's so specific again. If you want to get what? more
1: specific, actually, the Irish Home Rule Party unsuccessfully already attempted to change it to O'Connell Street, so it was commonly used by nationalist Dubliners like the IRA. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> also, the surname Gallagher is pronounced Gallagher by characters, but in Ireland, it's supposed to be Gallagher Yep. Only. Yeah. No. It. Nothing else. We're real good. <laughs> <laughs> so we can move on to the lives of a Bengal Lancer.
2: Okay. Listen. 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 I don't know what you think about this movie, but this is one of those movies where I can't explain why, but oh my god, I loved it.
1: I can see that. I'm not that into military movies.
2: Me neither, usually. But it captivated me. I was watching and I was on the edge of my seat. I was was into it. I was completely into it. This is one of those movies where I watched it and then... You finish it one and a half hours later and I'm like wait it's already over.
1: You're, you're not the only one. This was massive. This was I, gigantic. It's considered one of the greatest adventure films of all time and it apparently yeah. did more glory to the British traditions than the British would dare do for themselves. So
2: yeah. Oh. <laughs> it, it... <laughs> yeah I mean my last note on it already is high 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 on my list. Why was this movie so good? What the actual fuck? I Yeah
1: I get it. For I me know. it was more mid but uh I fully understand that. Yeah,
2: because I can see it doesn't inherently have something special. It doesn't have comedy as good as the Broadway melody. It doesn't have crazy cinematography. I guess the story just really captivated me. That's fair. Uh, It did have to win me over because I when I first read the title of the movie, I thought it was lives of a Bengal dancer. So I went, (laughs) oh, a Bengal lancer, not dancer. Well, that's
1: disappointing. Oh, yeah, (laughs) it starts off on the wrong foot. <laughs> well, it was based. It was based on a book. It was based on autobiography. It has the same setting as the book. That's about where it uh-huh. ends. Oh, none of the characters from the book are in it. Not even. Not even. <laughs> it's an autobiography. It doesn't even have the guy who wrote it. What? <laughs> none of the characters. It's not based on a book. It just vaguely
2: plot. took a book and was like, mm-hmm.
1: "Yep." The title and the <laughs> setting. Title. That's all it is.
2: Oh well, it's about free guys.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, there are three main characters. Yes. And they are in the army in... Oh, India. India, India. It was yes. Yeah. And the main guy, who is played by Gary Cooper, early Gary Cooper film, who I forgot was also in A Farewell to Arms. I just didn't notice it was him in that one. But Gary Cooper is an officer that gets two new guys in, and he kind of needs to help them grow into... Mm -hmm. this part of the army. One of them has some experience and the other one is the son of the boss of the whole part of that army and does not have a lot of experience and he has a lot of trouble with the fact that his father does not want to show favoritism, but by doing so, he is being a little bit cruel towards his son, like Mm -hmm. not talking to him and whatnot.
0: Yeah.
2: And... I don't know, it's just a three of them kind of figuring out their way in this army. Until eventually, the young guy, the son, is a bit of a dumbass and gets yep. deceived by a woman. And he is kidnapped by the other party, the Indians, I suppose. Mm-hmm. A specific, I forgot the name, I should look it up later. But a specific group of Indians. And Gary Cooper character and the other third guy uh, go after him against orders because they want to save him because they're friends and they all get captured. <laughs> they they immediately feel they immediately feel to save the son. So the whole army basically goes against the whole Indian army and it's a really cool battle where. The three main guys, the three main characters also escape from their little prison and help from within the camp. They destroy most of their ammunition that they had just gotten. They had gotten a lot of ammunition, which is kind of what the whole war thing started over in the first place. Mm-hmm. And sadly, the Gary Cooper character dies, but it's really epic.
1: Yes, it was pretty sick. <laughs> it was pretty cool. He gets given posthumously the uh, Victoria Cross, mm-hmm. which um am actually until like 1905...
2: Didn't
1: exist. No, no, no. It did exist. They were just. Oh. They only gave it to living people.
2: Oh, okay.
1: So that's a that's a bit. That's a bit of a fuck up. But <laughs> that's because the novel does begin in nineteen oh five. So they could have. It could have made could've, sense. Could have made sense, but they didn't follow the book, so they fucked themselves. <laughs> anyway,
2: <laughs> I think I also just really like the characters. They all the three main guys. I forgot their names except gary cooper's character is called mcgregor
1: yeah mcgregor forsyth and stone
2: and stone is the son. yes they all have a really specific character that's you know three-dimensional we love to see it yeah the the characters
1: are well developed
2: and also the relationships between them, where Gary Cooper is kind of a father figure to both of them, but mostly to Stone. Mm-hmm. But then when they go on the rescue uh, mission for Stone, he and Forsyth also start getting along a lot better and starting to know each other. And I, I don't know, I yeah. just really liked it. I just enjoyed it so much. It was good, great.
1: Absolutely fair. Yeah.
2: I don't have that many notes on it because I was so. You were just so enthralled. Into it. Yeah. I do have a screenshot, I think. Oh, right. It's McGregor and Forsyth, and Forsyth has seen this woman, mm-hmm. and he's like, now now watch closely, because he has just won the right from McGregor to go flirt with her, because they yeah. both wanted to, so they did a coin toss and Forsyth wanted, now watch closely. And just at that moment, Stone is walking away with this woman who wasn't even in the bed in the first place. Yeah. But then He walks away with her and McGregor goes, well, uh, go ahead, I'm I'm watching you closely. Which I think is a good portrayal of what their relationship is like. They're Absolutely. just kind of fucking with each other. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: good. I really like the characters in this. Uh, th- This movie could have been better. Because originally... Oh, no. no, no, no. Originally, Frederick March... And Claudette oh. Colbert were going to be in the cast.
2: Oh. And then they weren't. That would have been so good. Though I yeah. really liked the actors as oh, well. Oh, it was a I... phenomenal cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Claudette Colbert as the woman would have been really good. Mm. She was replaceable. The three main characters, I actually probably don't yeah, remember. No, they were really good. It's um, Frederick March, but. To
1: be uh, fair, Frederick March was supposed to be a different character called Lieutenant Post. Oh. And then. When he dropped out, they changed the character to become Lieutenant Forsyth. So they rewrote it for the new actor. So this it could have still okay.
2: worked. Okay, it could have been so good. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well. Um. But yeah, no, it was still solid. Let's see what else we got. Uh, so uh, they knew they weren't going to follow the book. So originally, mm. in pre-production, this movie was titled "More Lives of a Bengal Lancer."
2: That makes sense. Yeah,
1: it would have made way more sense. But no, they decided to run off the popularity of a book that wasn't all that popular, I guess. So um. <laughs> This is really good and interesting. Paramount hired hundreds of Paiute, I, I hope I'm saying that right, Paiute, Native Americans from nearby reservations, oh. and a lot of Indian, mostly Hindu, fruit and olive pickers from California's and Imperial Valleys to play the tribesmen. Yes. Yeah. Uh They also hired ranchers from Inyo County, most likely to play British soldiers. And
2: that's <laughs> how we do it.
1: A lovely little bit of cultural clash here is that a New York Times article from June 28th, 1936 reported that the Hindu people were unable to eat the lunches provided by Paramount because they could only eat curry made by a person of the correct caste. Oh. Yeah. Oh. They did their best, I guess. So, yeah. They shot this in India on location.
2: Good, good.
1: A lot of this. Not all of it, but uh, a lot of it. It was also, <laughs> it was one of the few films seen by the king and queen of England in many years. They screened it for them in uh,
2: 1935. Uh, sure,
1: yeah. sure. Another reason that this movie is nothing like the books, that they purchased the rights to the novel before it was even published. So they probably just started working on it and they were like, yeah. Why do sure. they keep
2: doing that? Why do they know. keep just first see if know. the book is any good? Yep. God.
1: Sir Guy Standing, who plays Stone,
2: mm-hmm.
1: was bit by a Black Widow during filming. Oh! Yeah. Oh,
2: that's not good. Yep. But he was okay?
1: He was okay. But, uh. Okay. yeah, it was not great. Paramount planned to produce this film in 1931, and they sent cinematographers to India to film location shots, such as, like, a tiger hunt and stuff. Mm-hmm. But because of the boiling heat, most of the film stock deteriorated. So when they eventually made the rest of the movie, they had to do a lot of production in Los Angeles. Ew. Which is, I think, why they started filming in India and came back and then did the hiring people in California thing. Yeah. yeah, That makes sense. That makes a lot more sense. The film was criticized for showing soldiers not taking cover when under fire.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> One of the most famous movie quotes ever is from this movie. But oh. it's often misquoted because everyone remembers it as we have ways of making you talk, but it's we have ways of making men talk.
2: Oh, that's actually better. I prefer we have ways of making mental. Oh,
1: it's a lot better. Yeah, I much prefer it. Fascist Italy had the movie banned because it oh. was propaganda.
2: For England?
1: For England, I suppose.
2: Oh, boo.
1: Boo. Now, let's play a little bonus round. <laughs> Can you guess... <laughs> Can you guess who had this on on his favorite movies list? Oh no. It's one of
2: it's gonna be another really Can you uh, guess? Well oh, it's it can't be Hitler. We've no, already had No, It's definitely that one. Hitler. Oh no!
1: <laughs> it's Hitler again. <laughs> no, I
2: hate sharing opinions with
1: Hitler. Uh- <laughs> would anyone in their right mind is so sad um, yeah he liked the film because it depicted a handful of Britons holding a continent in thrall that was how a superior race must behave and the no. film Yep. Yeah, and the film was a compulsory viewing for the SS no Yep, it was one of the 11 US movies that were considered artistically valuable by the Nazi authorities.
2: Oh, I'm so upset. So
1: not to insult your taste, but... Um...
2: Stop it, Hitler. <laughs> please, please just don't like any movies. I'm so Maybe Trader Horn. You can you like can that like one. Horn. That's fine.
1: You can like Chang. That's okay.
2: You can like Chang. So yeah,
1: we're... <laughs>
2: <laughs> Moving
1: on. Yep. Yeah. I mean, okay, listen... Uh-huh. To be fair, Hitler yeah. was an art student.
2: I don't care. I don't care. It makes
1: sense that he, he's... Like, I'm not agreeing with his reasons for liking this movie. No. But it would make sense that we as art students are also like, wow, yeah. this movie is so artistically cool. And Hitler yeah, would be like, okay. yeah, it is. We're like, you know, oh, this is a really cool movie, and it, I like the dynamics, and the characters were nice. And he goes, and they were a good representation of the superior race. And you're like, um... Mm-hmm adolf no i'm not sure if that's i don't think that's what the movie was trying to convey
2: yeah no maybe not
1: so yeah i have a great fear that this is not the last time that we're gonna see this i think it's been like it's happened like twice or thrice now i think yes let's let's quickly move on
2: let's talk about a midsummer night's dream
1: let's talk about a midsummer night's dream listen i love a bit of shakespeare um, um uh, especially, especially this one, because I did this one.
2: You did this one?
1: I played this one.
2: Oh my god, who were you?
1: I was, if I recall correctly, I believe I was Demetrius.
2: Uh, which one is that?
1: Uh, The guy who's in love with Hermia, but Hermia isn't in love with him.
0: Hmm,
2: okay, gotcha. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, it's a film version of A Midsummer Night's Dream, the play that Shakespeare wrote.
1: Yeah, it's one of his comedies.
2: Yes, it's yeah. kind of hard to say what it's about, I guess.
1: Okay, so short summary. It is about yes. the king of the fairies and the queen of the fairies, yes. Oberon and Titania, and they've got a little fight going on. And <clears throat> they're planning on, or especially King Oberon is planning on fucking with Queen Titania by doing some, some magic plant stuff. Mm-hmm. He's planning to use one person for that but a whole group of people gets involved including an acting troupe and four people who are in a sort of love love square love square where two people are in love with one girl and one another girl is in love with one of the dudes and it's a whole thing and essentially this magic spell includes when one of them is asleep rubbing plants in their eyes and then when they wake up the first person they see they're going to fall in love with like crazy and this leads to both of the men at one point falling in love with the other girl and the whole thing is just it's a wonderful mess i i find it to be a very funny comedy and i found the movie specifically to be really interesting because they had a lot of music and, and ballet sequences in there that obviously weren't in the original play but are in this and they're really good
2: yes i thought it was good objectively subjectively i'm not really into the Holding on to the Shakespeare language. That's fair. From centuries ago. I really prefer it if you modernize it because it just doesn't land for me because I don't speak that language that way. And I. eh. Yeah. Uh, And it was a bit long for me as well. It's again, it's two and a half hours, I think, which. Yeah, it it uh, is quite long. Especially the whole last bit. I don't know. Yeah, that
0: could have
1: been cut.
2: That's probably also in the Shakespeare play, but it was completely. Too long.
1: Could have been cut for... I
2: I really like the part that was all taking place during the night. But then when everything is all right again, the acting troupe goes back to the king and they do a play, which should be part of the story, of course, but just make it very quickly. Oh, and then they did the play and happy ever after. Instead, they go into this play for 20 minutes. It's 20 minutes of these guys...
1: (laughs) To be fair, it was a very funny play.
2: Yes, but not... like maybe if it would have been in front of the movie or like in at the start but at the end it feels like everything is resolved except we still gotta watch this thing go down for way too long
1: ah, i like the play i could i could deal with it at that point to be fair I, I sort of watched it more as like an addendum i was like okay the story's over now let's go watch this funky little play
2: yeah okay if you see it like that then it works but for me it was more like uh, part yeah, that's of the fair
1: thing i can understand for you specifically, I'm, I'm wondering, what was it like having a child running around like a little gremlin, but actually having uh-huh. him be able to act?
2: It was crazy. Yeah. But he was able to act well, how annoying he was supposed to be, right? Oh, yeah. So he was super good at it, but as a character, I could not stand Puck. Oh, That's my fair. fucking God. Every time he was on screen, I was like, bro, please disappear. Oh, my God. Oh, I hated him as a character. Again, phenomenal acting Mm. of a 15-year-old, but no.
1: Should add that I think we're going to see him again, because Mickey Rooney... Yeah, nice. Yeah, Mickey Rooney, he essentially, he was one of two people. Uh, It was him and uh, Olivia the Havilland. Havilland? Havilland? She played Hermia. She's from um, the other one, Captain Blood. Hmm. Her and Mickey, the two youngest actors of the of the bunch, uh, or like named actors, I suppose, because there was a lot of young ensemble members. They were the only ones picked mm-hmm. to reprise their roles from the Hollywood Bowl stage production.
2: That's cool. Yeah, the child was really good as Puck. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Dick Powell. He's back. I'm sad it's not with Ruby Keeler, but it's okay. He plays Lysander.
1: He does. Um, and many critics agreed that he was miscast as Lysander. Oh, really? Yeah.
2: What? So. What role would he have been? No, just, uh. just generally. Oh, he, just, he just not, not Lysan- He
1: shouldn't have been, yeah.
2: I thought it was kind of fine, but I also don't have the comparison of this. That's play,
1: the thing, so. right? Yeah, he, he was all right, but knowing, like having a bit more background on Lysandra as a, as a character. Dick Powell uh, himself concurred. He agreed that he was miscast. So,
2: Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. I guess it's just an objective truth, basically, then.
1: Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he did a bad job whatsoever, but, you know, some people most many of the actors in this version just had never performed Shakespeare and would not do so again.
2: Huh. Well, I I had no problem with the acting, so I think they did a good job.
1: Yeah, no, I I thought all the actors were really good.
2: Titania was special, but I also think she was meant to be. She was meant to
1: be, yes. She was meant to be this very sort of wavy, floaty... Uh Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: Let me scour through... My yes, notes to please see do if because I interesting. I have
1: some fascinating fucking facts. Ooh, dude.
2: exciting. Mm. Okay. Maybe you can immediately answer me something. I'm not sure because I saw two names when directing yeah. when the directing credits came up. So either we have a director duo, which I would love, or they had beef and they both directed a part. That was my
1: <laughs> Well, It is indeed correct that we have double directing credits. The reason for that is not that we had a directing duo, but because we have director Max Reinhardt, who we might know, if I want to quickly double-check, did he do anything interesting afterwards? No, we do not and will not know Max (laughs) Reinhardt. But Max Reinhardt is Austrian, and therefore he just did not speak English whatsoever. So he gave orders in German, and William Dieterle, who is also credited was his interpreter.
2: Ah uh, oh, that's that, so different from being the director.
1: <laughs> to an extent, but depending on how you interpret and translate things, those are also sort of mm-hmm. uh, stage directions. So Yeah. Yeah, both of them got a, they got a split credit.
2: Okay. Okay. Well fair enough. Fair enough. There's a woman with a sick snake dress. I don't know if you won't know the one oh, that I'm referring to, yeah. but Absolutely it has like the snake at the color and then the the whole color itself is like snake, nah, it's great.
1: It's awesome, yeah.
2: Nick Bottom is played by James Cackney, who was chesty and Here Comes the Navy last year, which
1: was cool. Oh, right, yeah.
2: In all caps, I wrote down, 1935
1: unicorn! Yeah, it was good, wasn't it?
2: It was cool. Also, the fairies coming out of the lake and running in the sky was a sick effect. That was very well done. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Also, style-wise, it's so dark. I wish they would have lit some parts a little bit better. That's but sometimes fair. Sometimes I could not see what was going on because they decided to not light it uh, very much.
1: I can understand, yeah.
2: I got invested in a story, though, because... Uh, no, not Lysander falling in love with Helena because of the flower. That's so annoying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I hate when that happens. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Not a big fan of Titania's mannerisms, but she sings wonderfully. Props to Anita Mm -hmm. Louise, who plays her. Love the fairy names. Cobweb, Peas Blossom, Mustard Seed.
1: I loved Peas Blossom. That was probably my favorite. Yeah. Yeah.
2: My favorite was Mustard Seed, I think. Mustard Seed was good. I
1: also (laughs) liked the the one that was just moth.
2: Just moth. Not Bottom going yeehaw to the rhythm of Titania singing because he was the donkey. Yeehaw. Oh my god, I don't know what I'm referring to here. Sometimes I wish I made notes that make more sense. Uh, I just wrote down Ariana Grande, and I don't know what it was about. Uh, 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 What? I don't know. I don't know if someone sounded like her or or looked like her. It just says Ariana Grande, (laughs) question (laughs) mark,
0: (laughs) exclamation mark. That's amazing.
2: Uh, this was definitely impressive and the fairies were lovely, but besides them, this just ain't my thing.
1: Yeah, no, I, I really like this one. I fully understand because it's it's a very specific genre.
2: Yes, I do think it was very impressive how they did a lot of things and it definitely gave the fairy vibe. It gave the whole...
1: Oh yeah, the, know, the, the visuals in this were phenomenal.
2: Yeah, really good. So props to that and props to the actors, but just a taste thing.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I have some good fascinating facts. facts. Well, let's start with the fact that this has an overture and exit music, which yes,
2: six minutes of six dark minutes,
1: music. yeah, and a, and an intermission, yeah. which yeah, good. I love when movies build that in, especially because it's one mm-hmm. of the longer ones. I like that it was like you know, brilliant.
2: I usually don't like it that much, but if a movie is really long, it's cool. I liked yeah. it when they did it. Uh, when I went to the cinema and I went to go see Killers of the Flower Moon, I'm glad they did it because 3 hours and 20 minutes without a pee break. yeah. yeah.
1: I, I also like it a lot more when the movies build them in. Because in the Netherlands, what they'll do yes. often is just pause the movie halfway through. I like it a lot more when the movie's yes. like, okay, we're going to take a little break here. This you're is a have point some, where you can take... Yeah, you're going to yeah, have like 10 minutes better. to think about everything, and then we're going to be right back. Um, yeah,
2: the main issue I have with p- breaks is that I lose my immersion. But That's if fair. they are planned in that already helps a lot, yeah, right,
1: because it's the movie telling you, "Hey, we are going to take a break, think about yes. this for a second, let it rest, and then we're going to send you back in in a second rather than it just yeah. cutting out out of nowhere exactly This is another one of those movies that was known as a prestige picture, and it was supposed that to enhance sense. the reputation rather than earn profit, but uh did both it did both, so well done. Uh, it was also the first fantasy film to be Oscar nominated for Best Picture.
2: Yes, okay, that's a slay. This, this shit paved
1: the way for Lord of the Rings, so...
2: <laughs> I, uh, well...
1: <laughs> I, no, I will stand by that.
2: Okay, sure.
1: Because Lord of the Rings is also highbrow. Yes. Because that's But talking. this is
2: 70 years before
0: that.
1: Oh yeah, that's what I mean. It's, you know, setting yeah, up no, fantasy as sure. being more generally, widely accepted as an art form. Yeah. So, I'm going to read you the desired cast... That Max Reinhardt, the director, wanted. Okay. And you're going to shit yourself.
2: <laughs> oh.
1: Get ready. He wanted.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm going to the toilet right now.
1: Charles Chaplin as Nick Bottom. W.C. Uh-huh. Fields as Francis Flute. Gary Cooper mm-hmm. as Lysander. Fred Astaire as uh-huh. Puck, the child gremlin. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. John Barrymore as Oberon. Walter Jesus. Houston as Theseus clark gable as demetrius joan crawford as hermia myrna loy as (laughs) helena greta garbo as titania and wallace beery as snug stop he got his son to try and get Uh, them all to sign on but they were being offered way less money so they were like every single one of them just went no fuck yourself get out of here
2: imagine imagine though grand hotel who
1: (laughs) yep oh no straight up yeah this would have been fantastic yeah. Also, oh, here's a here's a here's the one that might explain a little bit. William Dieterle had full charge as director for about a week because there was a French film company that sued Max Reinhardt for breach of contract. Oh, but it was lifted and the judge found in favor of Reinhardt, but for a week William Dieterle directed the whole thing, so that might be why he's fully credited instead of us just directing right. impre- interpreter.
2: That makes sense.
1: Right. That makes sense. Okay. I'm going to okay. quickly check if I have any more. Oh, it's the first Shakespeare adaptation to be nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Joe Brown accepted the role of flute without any knowledge of the play, but he was very dismayed to find out that the part required him to perform in drag wearing a dress. The directors used that obvious discomfort to advantage his performance. <laughs> which, at that point, that is your own fault. If you're going to go be in a movie and you haven't read the play that it's based on...
2: Yeah, that's probably a bad idea. I would not recommend doing that.
1: Yeah. Noted film choreographers Busby Berkeley and Bobby Connolly visited the set to watch Bhonislav and Ninska at work, but they behaved so disruptively that Ninska asked them to be barred from set. <laughs> so, first off, my really weird fun fact. I don't know if you're aware of Kenneth Anger or Kenneth Wilbur Anglemeyer. No. He passed away earlier this year, May eleventh, twenty twenty three. Um he uh, was really? he was very underground experimental filmmaker uh he pretty much exclusively did short films did almost 40 it was very much like surrealism homoeroticism he was he was sort of one of america's first openly gay filmmakers and okay. he was this really really weird fucking dude really really good at movie making but really fucking mm-hmm. weird and to add to how really fucking weird he was in his book Hollywood Babylon 2 he claimed to have been a child actor who played the changeling prince like the child that mm-hmm. the fairy king and fairy queen are fighting over
0: mm-hmm.
1: that, That's not true <laughs> d- d- the role was played by child actress Sheila Brown Th- that that's a, it's just a lie and a very easily disproved one at that I'm just gonna
2: start doing this. Yeah, I did actually. Um, I was
1: a uh, yeah. I, um, was, I, was... I was
2: in Inception. You yeah, know?
1: I was that kid in the background in like. Uh huh. How do you think? Oh yeah, I can get away <laughs> with this.
2: No. Uh-huh. The fuck.
1: Yeah. So, at the time, uh, cinemas when they were doing contracts, you'd usually get into a contract to show the film, but you have the right to pull out within a specified period of time. And usually cancellations ran between like 20 or 50. 20 to 50 cancellations. This film established a new record. And I'd like you to guess how many cancellations this film got.
2: So cancellations where a cinema would say, no, we're not showing this after all. Yeah. I guess more than uh, 40?
1: It's usually between 20 and 50. Uh, Yeah, it is more than 40.
2: Oh, so it's higher than 50 probably. uh, 70?
1: Almost. 71. But also... Two
2: thousand
1: nine hundred and seventy-one. What? Yeah, you were just so... just you
2: were just two thousand nine hundred and one off. Wait, wait. How, what? How? How?
1: Booking agents had failed to correctly identify the film, um, so but nearly nearly thousand, but... three thousand three thousand cancellations.
2: Oh my god. Yep. <laughs> okay. It's not good.
1: <laughs> um,
2: Not very good at all. Not very good.
1: So, I have two more fun facts for you. One of them is not very fun, and one of them is kind of fun. Both of them are about children. So, Mickey Rooney broke his leg. Oh. They had to rearrange the shooting schedule, but the production was too expensive to be delayed. So his remaining scenes had to be shot with a stand-in for the running sequences, and for his talking sequences, they had to use foliage to conceal his broken leg and holes in the floor that he could put his leg down when he was kneeling. Mm-hmm. According to Rooney's memoirs, remember this child was 14 at the time, Jack Warner, president of Warner Brothers, was furious and threatened to kill this child, then break his other leg.
2: What? what? What is wrong with you? What is I wrong with... don't
1: know. People are mistreating these child actors so He's horrendously. So yeah.
2: I... I... okay.
1: But, fun little child fact for you to make it a little bit better, which is that James Cagney's daughter, Kathleen Cagney, when she was a child and saw this movie, she was so upset by the scene where her father was turned into a donkey that he had to come out to calm her down. Oh, that's so sweet. It's adorable, right? <laughs> and I think that's a good, good one to end on because end
2: of, yeah.
1: The next movie is going to be a very depressing one as well.
2: Oh God, where are we going?
1: Les Misérables.
2: Les Misérables from nineteen thirty-five. I was really excited to watch this one because I have not seen the recent two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, twelve version. So I, I and you shouldn't because even... it's shit.
1: Hot take. It sucks. Okay,
2: so I have not seen the movie, but I have seen a video that Tijo sent me on it and on why it's bad. And um, I'm very curious to see it now.
1: It sucks so much.
2: I immediately believe that it's bad having seen a video essay on the actors not drinking water for three days and then trying to sing. But that's a different movie. That's a different movie. (laughs) It is. It is. Um,
1: This one was quite good. I like I this like one a this lot. I like this one
2: a lot actually. Uh it is not a musical, so it's just a story from Les Misérables. but it's yeah. not a uh, no single no 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 jingles. <laughs> no,
1: no singy songsies.
2: <laughs> it is I think the first time we're hearing the 20th uh, century Fox jingle.
1: Potentially, yeah. I think it so.
2: Pretty, pretty cool.
1: No, I um I liked the musical more than this but that's because Mm -hmm. i so the musical surprisingly is a little bit closer to the book okay it makes sense because it's the book is listen victor hugo is a talented writer but jesus fucking christ does the man waffle on so the book is really (laughs) really 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 fucking long and the movie is not therefore they had to cut a lot of stuff. And that's fine. That's good. I yeah. don't I don't mind that whatsoever. But it does mean that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that... There's a lot of little a, a, a substance and, and, and a little subtext and... Missing. Things missing.
2: Yeah, I don't have the comparison. Again, this is a trend here where Tiho has the comparison and I'm just talking... <laughs> randomly. That's I mean, it fair. is good probably because I can give the opinion of just the movie and you can mm-hmm. give the opinion on...
1: As an adaptation, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, well, okay, so short summary, it's about a man called Jean Valjean, who is a convict. So essentially, Mm -hmm. the, the whole point of Les Miserables is that France is fucked, and he's a convict, but he didn't really do anything. He's like, well, you know, I have tried pretty much every single place to find a job. And there are no jobs. there are simply zero jobs available, and my family need like I can starve, but i the four year old needs to eat, so I stole mm-hmm. a loaf of bread, and now I'm gonna go to prison for ten years. yes. And his prisoner number, his prisoner number is 2906, which is stupid and dumb because the one fucking consistent thing between all adaptations of Lemmy's, because it's the most recognizable thing, is that his prisoner number is 24601 in, ev- in all of the everything. So I don't know why this movie felt the need to change it in the musical. It goes 24601. Oh, it's like a really big thing. Anyway. <laughs> Uh uh-huh. in prison he is guarded by this man called Javert who has a, he has a first name. Whoa, he does? Yeah, he doesn't in the book. So, uh huh. Mr. Emile Javert who is mm. dedicated to the law in every possible uh, like yes. he, he just the law is his life.
2: Basically because his parents were not they yeah, were
1: His parents were actual criminals and he's decided to, you know, go okay, I'm never going to go down I'm that I'm never going to do that. Yeah. So At some point, Valjean gets released and he decides to, you know, not, skipping over a few bits here, but he decides to not go to his parole and instead give back to the community, to Mm -hmm. the people and be a good person. And Valjean gets assigned to his sort of security detail and it becomes this sort of struggle between them of Valjean not wanting to be found out as being an ex-convict and Javert mm-hmm. trying to figure this out and it's a, it's a really interesting thing and then there's also Fantine and Closette, uh, or Cosette, mm-hmm. sorry, Fantine is one of Valjean's factory workers who has a child who she can't take care of and he sort of adopts this child and then there's the story of uh, oh, what's his name Marius and Eponine who are sort of trying to they're not revolutionaries. They say that very mm-hmm. specifically. But they want to better the conditions for French prisoners. So it's like it, there's all these sort of story threads that get tied together through Valjean and yes. Cosette. And it's really cool. It's a, it's a really a I I cool really story. liked it
2: as well. It's a lot of small stories. But it all comes down to Valjean being an ex-convict and having to deal with that for the rest of his life. Yeah. And in this movie, Valjean is played by Frederick March, who I'm becoming a bigger and bigger fan of every Same. time I see him. He is Same. so good. Amazing. And Charles Lafton as...
1: Charles Lafton's back.
2: As Javert. Charles yeah. Lafton is fucking everywhere, okay? Last yeah. year he did two movies, and then this year uh, Barrett's of three. Wimple
1: Street and, and Private Life of Henry VIII, yeah. Yes. And now he's in three of them.
2: Listen, Charles Lafton is by no means a bad actor... But he is also not so good that I would say put him in every goddamn movie.
1: <laughs> I would agree. Except that I think in all three of his movies, he was the perfect cast this year.
2: I, so, I found him
1: a really good Javert.
2: So that's funny because I would agree on the two other movies. I did not like him that much as Javert.
1: Ooh, okay. That's interesting.
2: He was too, too much. It was too much of the... That's fair. Like, obviously, he is a character that is very straight in... I will never break the law, and this is the only thing I'm going for. But, I mean, I don't know, it was just... It felt like the guy did have depth in his character, but I did not feel it that much in the acting.
1: To be fair, that is Javert. He is supposed to be this sort of slightly larger-than-life... Uh, Javert is supposed to, yes. like, represent the entire justice system of France. So True, true. He is supposed to be this sort of way-too-big slightly caricaturistic
2: yeah yeah i get it i get it and i don't think he did a bad job i just felt like it was lacking a little bit
1: that's fair yeah my main complaint with this movie because i i liked it you know obviously they had to make a lot of concessions a lot of changes were made the one thing i i don't agree but eponine was done dirty
2: uh, which one was Eponine?
1: Eponine, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, yeah, that's my point. Eponine was the girl who was Marius's friend who comes to right. find Cosette. Mm, she was she was done so dirty. Eponine is such a cool, fascinating character. And it-
2: <laughs> yeah, in this movie, Eponine is more like, oh, I'm into Marius, but sadly, he is into Cosette, so.
1: She does in the book, I'm just quickly checking this, she does really care about him in the book, but it's never said specifically that it's a romantic thing. Mm -hmm. She saves his life at some point in the book, and she very specifically says that she does that because she wanted to die before he did. Okay. Right, so she confesses she was a little bit in love with him, but she never goes to the point where she's like, "Mm, I am so jealous of Cosette, and I want to, I'm so angry at her, and like, she's done so dirty in this movie.
2: (laughs) Let me see, I'll go through my... Your Notes. My nuts, I don't think so.
1: Your nuts. <laughs> With nuts, um, dude.
2: Yeah, I was just really interested to see this because I feel like I'm one of the only people on Earth that didn't know the story. And I can't believe I've seen this before I've seen the musical or the recent film. But hey, here we are.
1: If you're going to... Um, okay, so listen, if you're going to watch a version of Les Miserables don't watch the musical. If you're going to watch it for the story, watch the BBC miniseries. It's good.
2: But I like music.
1: I know, and the musical's good, but don't watch the musical movie, because it sucks. It sucks. <laughs> and it, it I sucks. mean, we're going
2: to watch it. I in know like, we're going to uh, watch it. In God like knows how long. <laughs> five,
1: six, seven years of six, real time. Seven but years.
2: <laughs> <sighs> I'll yeah. get around to it. We'll
1: get there eventually.
2: <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of notes that are a bit specific that i and just not gonna get into because if we do that, we're gonna be talking about this movie uh, a whole episode
0: mm-hmm.
2: because it's it's just there's a lot going on without it really feeling like it's too convoluted, which is pretty impressive because it's yeah. not that long in length. I think it's like two hours. Yeah, but somehow it tells a lot of things without being this David Copperfield where there's too much characters and whatnot. They do dare to put in more actual close up which is pretty sick. Because old movies, like the ones we're watching, don't really do that. You get kind of close-ups, but I'm talking like just seeing the eyes close-ups. That's sick. Because I think the most close-up we usually get is maybe just a full head. So I thought that was a pretty daring choice. And I liked it. I do love me a cat and mouse game. As well as an unknown identity game. Merlin Season 3, once more. yeah yeah it's it's such a good trope man i I don't know grown-up cosette is played by rochelle hudson who was jesse in imitation of life
1: uh did you also note that younger cosette was played by marilyn nolden who was younger jesse in imitation of life
2: oh my god i didn't that's so fun yeah (laughs) they're just met they're just
1: matched up again as older and younger versions
2: the hair and makeup's very good on Mr. March oh, all throughout. It's, it's phenomenal. Brilliant. Holy shit. The whole start where he has the really long beard and it's looking bad, but then also just making him go from younger yeah. to older, it's all
1: done did you, so well. Did you clock as well that it? Um, he played Champ Mathieu in the trial?
2: No, he's, I didn't. He's
1: both of them. He's Valjean and jean Mathieu.
2: I didn't notice at all. Oh my God. Yeah. Props to the hair and makeup Fucking department props, right? on this one. It's fantastic. It yeah. really... Yeah. Oh, whoa. They actually look realistically dead. Eponine... Spoiler. Eponine dies. Eponine with her eyes open and not looking like a sleeping beauty. Oh, yeah. Usually in movies, recent ones as well, but even more so in old ones. When characters die, it's like, you know, they fall a little, close their eyes and look peaceful. But because that was actually... It showed the horror of death of her eyes being Eponine. open and... Because that's I mean, fine. Because that's fine. Yeah. Because that's fine. Because that's good. <laughs> but I thought that was really cool because it makes so much more impact when they actually yeah. look dead and terrified.
1: <laughs> what this movie did really stick with it's it's sort of so it's the opposite thing that All Quiet did, right? Where this movie changed a lot from the book, but it kept the message intact of like mm-hmm. everything sucks and it's life is fucking hard and painful, and they pulled that off they pulled that off big time yeah yeah
2: yeah for sure i just put down i i love this frederick march was phenomenal as valjean well i didn't like left as much as i said but overall the movie is so good that it makes up for that for me so yeah. i really yeah, like I had a great time
1: it was solid something that's fascinating about this is this this is one of i think like eight movies that have had two different adaptations both nominated mm-hmm. for best picture Oh, so it's this yeah. one and the 2012 one. The other ones are The Two Little Women's, which we've seen one of. Yep. The Two Cleopatras, which we've seen one of. Yeah. Mutin on the Bounty, which um, we have a remake coming up again in the 60s. Mm hmm. There's Romeo and Juliet's coming up. There is yeah. A Star is Born's coming up. There mm-hmm. is West Side Stories coming up. Uh, and there's mm-hmm. obviously All Quiet. Mm hmm. So yeah, it's, it's Oh, we've uh, seen most of those. We have seen, or well, well, we'll see all of them, but we have seen quite a few of those, yeah. yeah. So that's really interesting. Essentially, this is the last film 20th Century Pictures made before it merged with the Fox Film Corporation to form 20th Century Fox. Oh. So that's like, they made it and then merged and I think then released it. Right. And this was sort of their attempt to beat MGM at its own game because they'd had successes mm. with, you know, David Copperfield and Little Women. Yeah. And so they were like, okay, we can do we can do Prestige. We Let's do Les Miserables. And they fucking nail it. Let's so, go. Yeah. Bang on.
2: I get the need to compete because MGM has been the well, main MGM's name that I've been hearing. It. Yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah, there's obviously a bunch of a bunch of changes. Uh, Valjean's prison term is reduced. Fantine is not a prostitute because Hayes office. Eponine mm-hmm. is uh, a secretary, not a street urchin as she is in the original novel. Gavroche from the novel is not shown at all. And like I said, in the movie, the students very specifically say we're not revolutionaries. Yeah. That's a Hays Code thing because in the book, they're like, no, we're overthrowing the government.
2: Okay, check. So, I mean, they still kind of do it in a movie. Oh, absolutely,
1: but they can't say it.
2: They had a good way of working around that.
1: Yeah, and they have to show Marius being like, no, I actually don't really want to do that. Guys, I get that you're doing it, but like, let's not do it. We have to do this peacefully. And Eponine, bamf that she is, just like, no, we're going to, kick some ass yeah
2: then she dies, and
1: then she dies um about those riot scenes a part of them had to be reshot because some of the extras could be seen chewing gum dumbasses extras extras oh my god (laughs) and yeah there's not that many fun facts on this the one little fun fact that i'll probably end my fun facts on is that the actress who played fantine uh, florence eldridge was frederick march's actual real life wife
0: Oh,
1: that's yeah. amazing. So they had a little film, film daughter.
2: I don't know why I feel so much sympathy for Frederick March. Watch him in later movies be an asshole like Wallace Beery. But yeah, I right know. now I, I'm loving something, this guy. Something about him, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a great, um, great dude. The
2: quote I have is when Valjean first kind of gets out of prison and mm. he meets a priest. And oh, yeah. He is not able to find anywhere to sleep, but this priest lets him in. And... He asks him, "How do you know I won't murder you in the night?" And the priest says, "Well, how do you know that I won't murder you? You have faith in me, it seems. Then I must have faith in you, mustn't I?" Which I thought was cool.
1: Yeah, it's really good. It really falls into that that Victor Hugo quote. That's I think also in the prologue of this, which is that. So long as there exists in this world what we call civilized, a system whereby men and women, even after they have paid the penalty of the law and expiated their offenses in full, are hounded and persecuted wherever they go, this story will not have been told in vain.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought that was really cool as well. Yeah. Yeah, good movie. Definitely high up on my list this year.
1: Absolutely same. Yeah, definitely. But this next movie may be higher Maybe mutiny? Mutiny on the Bounty. I'm
2: gonna, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm gonna let like you too it, man. I'm I'm. Yeah. It's
1: pirates, but good. <laughs> so there's a bunch of guys, and they're all going on naval naval service. They get forced into it, but they're yeah. they're all cool with that. They're all right because ships are cool. So they get stuck on the ship called the HMS Bounty. And it turns out that the guy running the bounty is an asshole. And when I say asshole Charles laughs again. again. Captain William Bly. And when I say asshole I mean brutal tyrant who like flogs his mm-hmm. people and steals shit from the ship and like blames it on everyone else. And they leave England on a they go for two years, I think, to Tahiti. And there's mm-hmm. these two guys on the ship, Fletcher Christian, who is a lieutenant, who um he follows Blight because it's his his orders but he really does not agree with them and then there's Roger Byam who is sort of like he's loyal to Bly as well because of the naval tradition of his family but he's also really good friends with Christian uh, and Mm -hmm. he doesn't agree necessarily with what Bly is doing and at some point Christian is just like hey you are really fucking with these people and I'm I'm, I don't like this I'm not going to stand for it and Bly is like are you am, am I gonna have to fuck you up and Christian is like no no I just want everyone to witness that I'm, you know, I'm not agreeing with you publicly. Mm-hmm. Bly doesn't like that much. So they get to Tahiti and, well, a whole bunch of bunch of stuff is fucked up. Christian and Roger both fall in love on the island with some beautiful, wonderful island girls who don't get much to do, but that's also because they don't speak English. Yeah. So it's it's all a bit, you know, but it's, it's nice and it's lovely and the island is shown to be this sort of, like, nice, peaceful place. And... They leave Tahiti again after a while. Bly decides to not give anyone any water because they need it to water the plants that they're taking back. Mm -hmm. And because of this, the surgeon, like the guy that everyone loves, fucking dies. And everyone's like, oh, oh, Bly fucking is not good. Bly fucking killed this dude. And so they do mutiny.
2: They do do the mutiny. They do a
1: massive mutiny, and I fucking loved it. And they kick this guy overboard into a into a boat, and they go, here's, mapping. here's a map and some rations. Goodbye, see you hopefully never, hope you perish at sea. He doesn't, though, sadly. Roger did not participate in the mutiny. Christian is now captain of the ship, and he essentially tells Roger, like, hey, listen, I know you didn't participate in this mutiny. I don't want to keep you locked up in your cabin, so just promise me you're not going to take the ship back. And then we're good and you can walk around freely. And he was like, okay, we can't be friends anymore because I'm angry at you. But sure, I won't take the ship back. So great. And then they go back to Tahiti and they both go back to their wives and they do end up being friends again. But then a ship yeah. comes to get them because Bly has no. made it back to England and he's, com- he's coming for revenge. Yeah. And Roger and a few other crew members who were like, okay, the mutiny, you know, we didn't participate in it necessarily, um, so we are going to get aboard Bligh's ship and go back to England, but it's been good. You guys make sure you get the fuck out of here, otherwise he's going to kill you. They go back, and Bly just fucking goes, okay, you guys also mutinied. And they go, no, no, we didn't. No. And he goes, no, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, no. definitely you did. So he just fucking, he just decides to get them killed as well. And then the end of the movie is sort of the court trial of like, are they going to actually get fucked Mm -hmm. up is bligh gonna get these guys screwed over is bligh gonna get screwed over meanwhile christian has taken the tahitian families and and like his men who have also all now got families on tahiti Mm -hmm. they're loading them all onto a ship to go to like sail off into into a, a, a an uninhabited island that they can live on without being chased by the english and it's yeah it's good i fucking loved it
2: I thought it was fine. I'm not as much into pirates as you are. Mm. But um, I did love Clark Gable. He He plays Christian. Yeah. And I also like him a lot. Mm. Him and Frederick March are the bros. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. But uh, yeah, Charles Lefton in this one I liked better as well.
1: He was good because he he really works as being this sort of like disgusting little asshole kind of.
2: Mm. Yeah, Yeah. 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 For sure. It's great. Also, it was directed by Frank Lloyd, who also did East Lynn and Cavalcade. So we have yep. a Best Picture winning director going on. Yep. I think it's even worse than with Captain Blood, the way it does not look like they're on a ship at all. That's
1: absolutely <laughs> true. Yeah, but I think also, you know, what's, what's the alternative, right?
2: Yeah, no, I get it. I, I I get it. It's just bad. It just does so not look like that. But it's okay. It's okay. I also, I thought it was annoying that Bly's hat was on crooked for a part of it. Why? Please. Someone should have fixed that. Yep. Um, but other than that, I thought it was a good movie. I, I It's not in the top for me, but it, it it's good. I don't really sure. have much notes on it. I thought it was good. Christian at some point goes at the start, Mr. Stewart's is getting nauseous and he's running off to throw up and Christian goes, watch the wind, Mr. Stewart. <laughs> because, you know. <laughs> Don't wanna yeah. don't want to have your vomit fly back uh back In your at face.
0: you. Yeah.
2: I think part of the reason that it looks so fake than being on a ship is because it will show the ship rocking a lot, mm. but the actors will stand perfectly still. They'll yeah. just be <laughs> yeah, I that's think very that's true. the biggest problem.
1: It's also wildly historically inaccurate. It's based on a on a true story. Oh. Wildly inaccurate, but uh mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's sort of sad to me that you're being so mean towards Charles Lafton because he's. No, I
2: liked him in this. Well,
1: (laughs) he had a severe self image complex concerning his weight and unattractive looks. Sorry, Charles. And, like, he was now in a movie next to handsome, masculine Clark Gable.
2: Clark Gable. So, yeah. yeah,
1: He was consistently watching his own walk and gestures and face to make sure that his complex wasn't, like, projected onto his character. So be nice.
2: I, I think he's dead. He's been dead for a while. A little,
1: know. a little bit, yes. But <laughs> I, you know.
2: But I mean, in this movie, I liked him. I just and I'm. I have another movie that's coming up where I really liked him, and I oh, thought he yeah. was perfectly cast. Mm-hmm. But just not Les Misérables. I mean, and then here he has Clark Gable and Les Misérables. He had Frederick. Frederick so That's he, true. Yeah. He, he is getting put next to the most handsome actors of their that's time. That's true. He is very Poor unlucky. Guy.
1: So um. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of fun facts about this one. First of all, this was mm-hmm. not based on a book. It was based on a trilogy of books.
2: Oh. And
1: all three books were covered in Jesus. this movie. Yeah.
2: Usually a bad idea, but I think they got away
1: with it. They managed, yeah. But that's also because the second and third novels are... Yeah. The first novel is essentially like Roger Byam's story and, and the whole thing. And then the second novel is specifically the story of... Captain Bly on that little rowing boat on his way back to England. And the third novel is specifically the story of Christian finding that uninhabited island for him and his crew to settle down on. So all Mm. of that was stuff that you could sort of shorten a bit and stick in the movie. So
2: that's perfect.
1: Yeah, it was was really good. (sighs) There's a lot of very fascinating ones. First of all, Clark Gable first refused this before accepting, as he did for Gone with the Mm. Wind later. It's sort of a thing that he does.
0: <laughs>
2: N- no, I don't want the part, Baca.
1: No, you did not. You did not just I'm make sorry. Clark Gable say Baca.
2: <laughs> sorry. Mm. <laughs>
1: anyway.
2: Anyway.
1: Movita, the actress who plays Tahani in this film, would later marry actor Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando... Oh plays Captain Bly in the 1962 remake of this
2: Ayo! film. Yeah, which we're
1: also going to be watching because it was also nominated for an Academy Award.
2: This is this is us, you know that meme of us at the board with the guy with the conspiracy theory with all the red frets uh, and mm-hmm. us yep. just looking crazy like it's all connected. Yeah. <laughs> uh
1: you're you're not going to like the remake because it's over wow. 3 hours.
2: Oh no.
1: Mhm. No. I mean mm-hmm.
2: sometimes it can be okay, but I feel the older the movie is, the worse it is if it's long.
1: Oh yeah, this one's 1962, so we, you know, it might be it might be we, all right.
2: It might be okay.
1: Yeah. Uh it was also not technically remade, there was another version of it done in 1984 with Mel Gibson and Anthony Hopkins. Oh.
0: Oh yeah. Huh. But that was not based
1: on the on the trilogy. It was based on a different historical work, which is way closer to historical events, uh, and it makes okay. Bly a far more sympathetic person because he wasn't this evil originally in, in in real life.
2: Huh. Anthony Hopkins would be a really good Bly. I assume he, that's when yeah, he played. Yeah, correct. Yeah. I don't know if I like Mel Gibson very much. As
1: <laughs> I don't know whether I like Mel Gibson very much. Period. Uh, yeah. Same. yeah. <laughs> uh, but he was he was he is uh, Christian in that movie. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. Hmm.
1: There was supposed to make a sequel to this one as well, but that didn't didn't happen. It was supposed to be called Christian of the Bounty, but it was it was never made. So that's sad. Huh. And it was also not the first film account of this mutiny because there was an Australian film entitled In the Wake of the Bounty, released it was in 1933 with the then unknown Errol Flynn as Fletcher Christian. Oh, yeah, huh. uh, but it was not successful at all. Oh, yeah, no Flynn noticed in his autobiography that whenever he mentioned that he played Christian in an Australian version of that movie, no one ever believed him, which yeah i i mean, i i I wouldn't like <laughs> this home media was not a thing. he couldn't show people that he he did that, so yes, yeah,
2: <laughs> well,
1: this film was colorized in the nineteen eighties, but that's not the version that we found or watched, so okay, but it was you could- you could watch this in color if you feel like it more. This movie has taken a little record. Oh. It is the first film to earn at least eight Academy Award nominations.
2: Oh, shit. That's. Yeah. That is a lot. This
1: was a wild one. Huh. So, yeah, massive. Also, Charles Lafton and Clark Gable were nominated for Best Actor for their performances in this film. It is the only time that two actors or actresses in the same category for one film were already like winners
2: huh huh
1: because both of them were nominated and i believe mm-hmm. there was a third person nominated yeah yeah it was clark gable charles laughton and franchot tone who plays by him roger Byam. R- roger by yeah right because of all three of them being nominated for best actor they decided to introduce best supporting actor next year
2: Oh, that makes sense. Because that's they cool.
1: were like, okay, three Best Actor nominations for a movie it might, be, kinda weird. <laughs> might be a bit much. Let's maybe uh, let's maybe chill a little bit, huh? Cool, cool. The uh, So Pitcairn Island, where they end up in the end, to this day, the descendants of Fletcher Christian and other mutineers still live there.
2: Oh, that's cool. Yeah.
1: By the time that these guys Sweet. were found, like, four or five or eight years after they went missing, uh, quotation marks, only one of them was left alive. Um, and and their descendants are still uh, still going.
2: Let's go. I like that.
1: Charles Lafton is a lovely man. He often lightened the mood during location shooting. Uh, when Rain kept the cast and crew waiting on the island, he used to do imitations of his co-stars and of Aww. Joan Crawford, who was married to <laughs> Franchotone, who was also shooting on the island. And on Aww. days when, when the food was not particularly good, he kept people laughing by making up outlandish names for the dishes.
2: Oh, that's so
1: sweet. He's a lovely dude. Lovely. We lovely love hearing good
2: facts about actors, and them not being assholes.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of adorable. There was a, uh, according to Hollywood legend, I should say, mm-hmm. there's a shot that was cut by censors, which was one of the sailors pairing off with a Tahitian boy, instead of oh. the girls. But you know oh. we can we can't have homosexuals. We can't do that. No. No 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 no. no, 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 no. <laughs> but uh but yeah.
2: It was there. It was
1: there. Uh, according to Hollywood legend, of course. Yes. Between studio work and the two locations the movie was shot, the crew shot six hundred and fifty two thousand two hundred and twenty eight feet of film. Jesus. Only twelve thousand ended up in the film.
2: Oh my god. Yeah,
1: that's six hundred and forty thousand so feet of film. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh. This was the most expensive film that MGM made since Ben Hur. So yeah, that it, makes sense. It makes perfect sense, absolutely. Oh, apparently during filming, Clark Gable and Franchot were said to have become romantically involved with the actresses who played their girlfriends. Oh, kind of adorable. If not for the fact that Franchot was, you know, married to oh, bro. Joan Crawford. Well, he was married to Joan Crawford. Uh, not saying, you know, <laughs> I'm. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> This was the top-grossing film of 1935?
0: That
2: makes sense, as it should be if it wants to make any money back on something like that. (laughs) Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. Oh, okay, so here's... Okay, so now that we've gotten into the romance a little bit, MGM wanted Clark Gable to go straight from shooting to a two-week cross-country publicity tour, but he said no because it would require him to take along his second wife. Oh. Yeah, and then they finally sweetened the offer by throwing in a two-week publicity junket to South America on his own uh, that amounted to essentially a paid vacation. And then on the ocean voyage back to New York from the premiere, Gable had an affair with Lupe Velez, which caused problems because she was also married to a, a fellow MGM Clark. star. Clark was Clark. not... Yeah, he was messing around. This man.
2: here, left and is just making people laugh and just being cute. Goddamn. them,
1: Yeah. Another tragedy nearly occurred during filming because a replica of the Bounty, with two crewmen aboard, separated from its tow and was adrift for two days before being found by a search party.
2: They end- if they ended up being okay. That's kind of hilarious. Oh, they ended up <laughs> like, being okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it is just, very funny.
2: Guys, guys, it's le- the thing is leaving. <laughs> <Help>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just drifting for two fucking days. Oh my god. Oh you're oh you're gonna really start disliking Clark Gable, huh?
2: No, Clark.
1: Irving Thalberg cast Clark Gable and Charles Lafton together in the hope that they would hate each other, making their on-screen sparring oh. more lifelike. Because he knew that Gable, a notorious homophobe, would not care oh. for Lafton's avert homosexuality and would feel inferior to the uh, RADA-trained Shakespearean actors. Relations between the two stars did in fact break down completely after Lafton brought his muscular boyfriend to the island as his personal masseur. They were oh my an god. obviously devoted couple, and they would go everywhere together while Gable would turn away in disgust.
2: Oh my god, Gable's cancelled. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. That is very sweet of Lafton, though. Just Oh, Lafton's
1: it. a phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal man.
2: Love this. But wait, I thought Lafton was, Lafton is married no. to a woman.
0: Yeah?
1: No.
2: Yeah, because when we were talking about Henry VIII, the fourth wife was his actual wife.
1: Oh, no, yeah. Okay, so he he did have a wife, but he was also homosexual. It was at the same time.
2: Oh, okay, okay. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, here, in order to break the ice before shooting, Clark Gable, apparently unaware of Charles Lafton's homosexuality, took him to a brothel. Lafton's wife, Elsa Lanchester, always said that Lafton was nevertheless flattered by the gesture.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Back when they were still cool.
1: Back when they were still cool. Charles Lafton, again, when he wasn't happy with his work in a shot, he would do something that would just ruin the take. So, for instance, at the end of a lengthy shot of Bly (laughs) pacing the deck director Lloyd was about to yell cut when Lafton stopped and said I wasn't in any of my marks uh, and they had to do the whole thing again
2: that's really smart it's, it's really a fucking they don't have an asshole move oh, but, it's time, really but it's really smart
1: yeah it's really funny uh, the scene of blindness surviving in the longboat were shot in the studio tank mm-hmm. but they were drenched with water, rocked by cables, baked under the studio lights. And after spending a week on the sequence, director Frank Lloyd realized that one of the characters was not supposed to be there. So they had to do the whole uh, thing again. Uh. So uh. when when at the end, Lafton delivers that line of, we've beaten the sea itself, the crew members were so moved that they cheered and Lafton broke down in tears.
2: Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> yep. That is also a pretty big mistake. Like, of course, you can make a mistake, but a week
1: it took you. It, it took you a week to realize. A week? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, there was a there was a big accident that I haven't read about yet, but it killed one of the crew members, Glenn Strong. No. Oh, here it is. Sorry, he died when a barge with fifty five crewmen and staff members capsized while shooting exterior scenes. No. Yeah. Rip. Some news sources erroneously reported that both Charles Lafton and Clark Gable had also been killed in that accident. So the reporters called Lafton's wife to ask her reaction to her husband's death. And then a few hours later, they called with the real story.
2: Oh, no, you can't do that.
1: Mm -hmm. Charles Lafton also lost over 50 pounds for this role because he wore the actual hat and clothing measurements of Captain Bly.
2: Oh, that's so sick.
1: It's really cool. Yeah. When they when the crew returned to Hollywood, they discovered that most of their location footage has been destroyed because of poor storage conditions, so they had to sail back to Tahiti uh, and reshoot a bunch of shit. Oh my god. Charles Lafton was violently seasick and terrified of the ocean.
2: <laughs> oh. Uh,
1: Clark Gable was initially disappointed when Franchot Thun was cast as byam because the two actors had been bitter rivals for the affections of Joan Crawford while filming Dancing <laughs> Lady. However... During filming, they surprisingly became close friends when they discovered a mutual interest in alcohol and women. Oh my god. Yep. (sighs) So, now that we've had all of that out of the way. Yes. There's a bunch of actors in this uncredited. I'm going to give you their names. It's the Uh funniest shit. Because Uh you're going to know pretty much all of them. Oh god. It is David Niven... Mm-hmm. Marion Davies, mm-hmm. Joan Crawford, and James Cagney. Oh,
2: oh the last two for sure. Mm-hmm. What
0: are you, uh, who are so, they were in there?
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> essentially, David Niven huh? was just around. He came to visit and he was like, oh, yeah, I'll do a little, little bit part. Sure, that's fine. Uh, I think it was like a bit part as a sailor. Marion Davies and Joan Crawford were filming on Catalina anyway. So they were like, oh yeah, we, we'll dress up as native girls and just fuck around with the extras for a bit. Oh my God. And James Cagney was, at that point, on a hiatus from Warner Brothers during a contract dispute. So, mm-hmm. he was sailing his own private boat near where the film was shooting, near Catalina Island. And he was obviously friends with Frank Lloyd. And he just shouted over, like, hey, could I play a little part? Like, I, I need the money. Um, so Lloyd was like, yeah, sure. So they dressed him in sailor's clothes and just put him in the background. So towards the I'm beginning dying. of the film, if you look around, you can very clearly see him wandering around.
2: Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> that's the so the main good. actor I... in like and Summer Night's Dream. <laughs> yeah.
1: For real. This dude was just like, "Oh yeah, can I can I be a sailor for like for like a bit?" I can can, can I be money? like yeah. extra? Then yeah, Frank Lloyd was like, "Yeah, sure. Sounds like fun." I love I... that.
2: I love that he doesn't mind just, you know, exactly not being
1: the main actor. So yeah, that was... um.
2: That was Mutiny on the Bounty.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which Some... leaves us mm-hmm. with Naughty Marietta. Naughty Marietta. A movie where Jeanette MacDonald stars as a princess who doesn't want to marry. Where have we heard this? Where
2: have before? we heard this before? Hints it's the Love Parade yeah. from a few years ago.
1: And also that oh no, she wasn't a princess in that other movie that she did, was she? No, One she wasn't. But
2: she was also in Yeah, One Hour With You.
1: It was the same movie. Again.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's a bit different. It's worse.
1: Yeah, it, you know how it's worse than One Hour With You in the Love Parade? This movie did not have Marie Chevalier.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, it was yeah, lacking a lot because he The movie
1: fucking scared. suffers for it.
2: It suffers a lot for it. Because the guy that replaces him as the male lead, no.
1: Okay, so essentially, no. just really quickly. Uh, it's a princess, she doesn't want to marry, so she goes off to an island to not marry but she meets a uh, police guy who's like really mean to her but she kind of loves him and then in the end they get together pretty much the movie but the issue is that the police guy not only is a brick wall of a character with oh my god no discernible personality he's also Ooh. an asshole
2: asshole
1: and not like a oh little bit of an asshole uh, asshole to the extent where like consistently she sets these boundaries at some point he even goes, hey, he, if you if you want me to, like, stop at all, lift up your fingers and cross them and I will stop immediately. And then she does it four or five and times just, and he just oh puts her God. hands back down.
2: It's, 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 ah, he is the most awful It asshole. was
1: horrendous. And,
2: and she also hates him at the start.
1: She hits him consistently, and there's nothing yes. that he does no, for her to no. change her mind on that. For
2: some reason, there's a turning point, but it, I don't know why. I have no idea why, because he didn't do anything to make her change her mind.
1: No, And suddenly,
2: she's in love with him.
1: It's like, so... The thing uh, is, uh, yeah, it's, it's not even... Because there is a natural point where it could have happened, which is the fact that he's consistently flirting with her, and she's like, oh, I don't really want it. And then mm-hmm. the people come up, like, they show up looking for her, and he immediately protects her, her and rescues her yeah. and is like, okay, I'm going to keep you safe. We're going to figure this out. And that would have been a fine turning point. But she turns like half an hour before that. Yes. yes. She just goes, oh no, it's... I like you now actually. What the fuck?
2: Yeah, it, there's no reason for it and it's awful. because It's oh,
1: horrendous. It's,
2: it's so hard to... W- obviously, we've had more movies where the two main characters don't really seem to like each other but then do fall in love, which is a trope that is uh, but yep. with this one, it's extreme. They really hate each other. He's an asshole, and suddenly it's all good, and they're in love. And yeah, yeah. I, uh, and blah, blah, blah. then
1: and then these motherfuckers but. did seven more movies together. No, yeah, they Wait, were paired. this guy also. This guy and this girl. Yeah,
2: I don't think he was that great of an actor no. either. No, she's great. Jeanette McDonald is great, but. She's
1: fantastic. And she did these movies with Marie Chevalier, but then Marie Chevalier went on to do other things. And they were like, yeah. well, but we still have Jeanette McDonald around who is, you know, profitable. So they matched her with this other dude. Instantly, this movie gets nominated for an Oscar. And they're like, oh, awesome. Brilliant. Let's go.
2: Sick. Yeah. And it's. Ugh. It's boo. It's boo. All right. Well, um, notes. They need to be careful. They need to be careful and protect this woman because uh, those dresses are not Mm. fit very well around her boobs because every time she moves it is on the
1: verge of going tits out. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's not great. Uh, I hope someone protects her from this because Yep. yeah, no. Chansonette, which I think is the first song they play, is a banger. It's a bop. It's pretty much the only banger, in my opinion. Oh yeah, the rest the of the other... songs suck ass,
1: but the this one's good. The other
2: songs are kind of meh. But it started off really good. I was like, oh, this is. it's also a little different from the usual. It's still a little bit opera, but not super classic.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I liked it a lot. And then the rest of them were kind of similar, but with more male voices mostly. I wish they had Jeanette sing more, because she's fantastic. Yeah. I am in love with how big her dresses are. They are Oh huge. yeah, they're very poofy amazing yeah oh yeah when the casket girls arrive the when the 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 girlies arrive that are gonna that are there to marry the men (laughs) they -hmm. announce this and the men immediately stop everything they're doing like one guy is being treated for i think a sprained ankle or something doesn't matter stands up runs over two people are like dueling with uh, their fencing (laughs) Yeah. For honor or something, I think. And they're like, should we should we do this tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, we'll do this tomorrow and they run over <laughs> it's no it's good. Uh I also thought the acting of the governor of New Orleans, played by Frank Morgan, was amazing. Oh, it was, it I, was loved grand. Him. Yeah. I would also run away from Richard and all of the other men for that matter.
1: <laughs> yeah. Also, really quickly, while we're in this, Governor's wife, Madame Danard, Elsa mm-hmm. Lanchester. That's Charles Lafton's wife.
2: oh. Uh, cute yeah. um, also they're fleeing from the guys that are looking for the princess and they are in a boat which is romantic I will give them that they're, oh yeah, they're boats just are cool. in a boat vibing but then he starts serenading her and I, I just put down I guess they're are definitely people that think serenading is romantic, but I'd honestly jump off the fucking boat if a guy randomly started singing to me. That Listen, sounds like the most secondhand the embarrassment I could get in life.
1: Here's the thing, serenading is romantic if if it has any level of connection to the person yeah. you're serenading. Not just, just start blaring out a song to someone who's very clearly not interested. So or maybe is interested for no good reason suddenly. Uh,
2: but is in the middle of fighting for her life. And
1: also very consistently lifts up the sign that you've agreed that is, hey, stop doing this. And you just put her hand down and keep going. Oh, uh, yeah. <gasps>
2: um, happy ever after. blah. Yeah, Did not like this one. The Romans makes zero sense. Pisses me off. And it lacks interesting characters. Music started good but got boring. Four out of ten.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's uh, uh, stinky and bad.
2: I have one quote when the um, her father returns of Marietta. Or, you mm-hmm. know, not her real name, but Marietta. And they're talking about the guy that she was supposed to marry. That she was running from. And poor Don Carlos suffered such excruciating misery from seasickness. I almost despaired his life and she goes, But he didn't die. Fortunately not. Sad Marie <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I didn't like this. Another thing that I really, really, really did not like about this movie whatsoever. I was really excited at the start where the women are on the boat and then they get kidnapped by pirates. And I was like, Oh pirates She's gonna again. fall she's gonna fall in love with a pirate. Mm. and then the pirates five minutes later were all just kicked off and gone and I was like "Oh,"
2: and died yeah man no I get it disappointing it was
1: really, ups- it was really upsetting sort of angry
2: <laughs> sort of angry but
1: okay naughty Marietta do you want some fucking fun facts yeah give me some facts I'll look for some have some fun facts Frank Morgan had to shave his mustache
2: oh no No, yeah,
1: he hadn't done that for Seventeen years. Poor guy. Yeah, really upsetting. He committed, though. Really upsetting. So, the song Ah Sweet Mystery of Life, which is in this, was famously sung in 1974 by Madeleine Kahn as the Bride of Frankenstein. Oh. Here's some red string for you. Elsa Lanchester, who's in this movie, plays the Bride of Frankenstein in the same year this film was made.
2: Hey.
1: Crazy. The original director, Robert Z. Leonard, asked to be relieved of the assignment after the first day of shooting. So... The
2: first day? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't stay at a job that you really don't want, but maybe give it a bit more time. Yeah, Jesus. i give it a
1: second. But honestly, I can understand with this fucking movie. <laughs> <sighs> um, So this was based on an operetta, and they cut out pretty much all of the interesting stuff they cut out an entire love subplot an alternate love subplot which was the governor's effeminate son Etienne and a gypsy girl who he has fallen in love with which already sounds like a so much more fascinating fucking uh-huh. uh very frustrating including the song A Sweet Mystery of Life, by the way, was controversial because it was widely known uh, as the theme song of Forest Lawn Memorial Park and Mortuary. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) So so Jeanette MacDonald in this movie is called Marietta because her lucky number is 13. So she insisted that all her characters in every movie she's in that their names begin with the letter M, which is the 13th letter in the alphabet.
2: <laughs> That's so specific again. It's so I- weird. How do you specific. come up with this? <laughs> I love it.
1: It's great, right? And that started quite late because mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff where she was just getting started...
2: Yeah, you can't make demands like that.
1: But from here... Like here, she's Marietta. The movie before it, she was Missia. Then it was Marie, Mary, Marcia, Maria, Mary, Marlowe, oh Mary, my God. Marianne. They're all Mooneen. the same as well. Moonin. Yeah, in the remake of Smiling Through. So uh, very consistently, she. Uh,
2: I love that. That's yeah, yeah.
1: It's great. I also sorry. Well, I just I only just learned that they remade fucking Smiling Through. Apparently. Yeah. Anyway. Uh. Next movie. We are moving on to
2: Ruggles of Red Gap.
1: Ruggles of Red Gap. I liked Ruggles.
2: I liked it as well. I probably, liked Ruggles. It, l- probably not as much as you then, but I did like it. It has Charles Lefton again.
1: But this was, I think, his best one. I liked him the most in this. Me
2: too. This role fit in him perfectly. and it was I think... such a
1: lovable dum-dum and it was great.
2: Yeah. And it's also this thing where Lefton can definitely do things other than comedy but it is the thing he is best at in
1: absolutely opinion. yeah it's also this movie was so fucking funny
2: it was it was pretty good um it's about ruggles is a name and he is kind of a butler yeah, to a man servant yes to a man in england but this man does some gambling and he is the stake
1: yeah, Ruggles is what they're gambling over. The so price. the win- winner gets Ruggles.
2: Yes, and he loses. So he has to go with the Americans. He's like, the Americans? Oh, yep. no.
1: He has he, to go there. Oh,
2: no, not the Americans. But he has to go there and he... He's got
1: a re- red gap in... Oh, where is it?
2: Where, um, California. California? No. No, no something
1: Ms- near in the... Ms- <laughs> Where's Redcap? <laughs> Where the fuck is it? I don't
2: know. It was in one of the middle states, I think.
1: Um America, anyway.
2: Yeah, America, and there he is a very stuck-up character. Basically, he is I am a servant and I need to do well. Uh it's been in my family for ages. We've been doing this for ages. And slowly in America he learns to let loose a little.
1: Yeah, he starts to find out that there's there's more to life.
2: There's more to life, exactly.
1: Yeah, the guy who won him, essentially, is like, hey, let loose, live a little. And the guy's wife is like, why are you ruining my husband like this? And the husband's like, yeah, oh, it's totally Ruggles who's messing with me and not me with him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. I it's don't know. Really it, it.
1: This had one of the best romances as well. Was, I really believed it. It was good.
2: Yes. And I also thought it was good because Charles Lafton is not your typical handsome guy. Yeah. And that's what's good about it because it's like not the same as always where you're only looking at handsome actors find each other, you know? I don't know. It's good. Yes. It's a little different.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I I really, really appreciated Ruggles of Red Gap. As um, I thought, there was really funny. There was that one scene. Where the two guys, they're at a party and they don't want to be at the party. They want to go be with Ruggles. And they're like, Uh have you ever had the opportunity to climb out of a window before? And the other guy goes, "Uh, I don't believe I have. (laughs) He goes, have you tried this one? (laughs) He just opens the window and goes, "Uh, you will find a hole over there where you can put your foot. I made it myself.
2: (laughs) 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 Yeah, it was good. It had some... Just small little jokes, yeah. they landed well.
1: Followed up by this guy going, like, putting his drink down, going, oh, I'd hate to leave that, but I'm sure we'll stumble into another one on the way. <laughs> it's nice.
2: If we're if we're saying the sentences anyway, I also have one. Um, Ruggles is depressed mm-hmm. because uh, I, don't, I don't remember what the exact situation was here. But he says, oh, I feel like jumping in the river. And his love interest is annoyed at him and goes, well, go ahead and jump. Walks away turns around and jump in at the bend it's deeper
1: there (laughs) and I really like the payoff of that a few scenes later where they they can't find him anywhere and she goes he might have landed in a river you guys need to go look for him and so the husband and his friends go to look at the moment Rose walks in and the husband is like she tells me he's in the river, but he doesn't even look wet. <laughs> it's like.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was really good. Also, just he's just making a panic. We can't find Ruggles. Ruggles is a really popular character at this point.
1: Oh, yeah, we everyone loves find Ruggles.
2: Ruggles. We need to go save him. And they turn around and he's there. And they're like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's like, oh, oh, there he is. Oh, got him. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. I fucking love this movie.
2: The character that Ruggles goes with in the beginning. The ones that won the gamble, I guess. Mm -hmm. The woman is called Effie. She
0: finishes all
2: her sentences. She's the worst. But also she finishes all her sentences in the same tone. And it's so annoying. Where it's, she's a good actress. But all her sentences, you must imagine, end in the same way. She doesn't talk with variety. And it's like.
1: Uh, yes, our hometown, you know, in the state of Washington.
0: It's a little, uh, bourgeoisie, <laughs> I'm afraid, but I think you'll find a few of us who still really care about what is happening in the, uh, uh Hotel
2: Yeah. Bro, mm-hmm. it's the only thing I can concentrate on at some point. Yep. Though I did love the message you love, of, you know, being equal to each other and being yourself, it was a little bit little bit American propaganda. Not even a little bit. It was a lot of American propaganda of uh, equality. And we're all so good here. And England, everything is not so uh, (laughs) good. Yep. Drunk Ruggles was very cringe and kind of hard to watch. Uh, That was one bit that I... I I know it's supposed to be funny. I... I had a little bit of trouble with that one just because I had this I got the secondhand hand embarrassment. Then. I loved him just going
1: Yeehaw <laughs> at everything. It's great. <laughs> or yippee was it? Sorry. Yeah, yippee. Yippee
2: yeah. <laughs> Also when they when the, a guy goes to him, you won't tell my wife that, that I did bad things, right? Like that I got you into this Yippee. <laughs> okay, no, then it's all right. Yeah, okay. exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's
1: like he's like, Oh, you talked to him? What what did he say? <laughs> he goes he said, yippee. And the other guy goes, oh, that's all right then. No, yeah, that's, that's yeah. okay.
0: <laughs>
2: everyone assuming, okay, there's this ongoing bit as well, where the guy that took Ruggles in, you know, him and his wife, mm-hmm. he calls him Colonel. He never was in the army, but because he keeps being called Colonel, everyone just assumes that he was. And yeah. it just keeps being this ongoing thing where, oh, Colonel, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, We should hope war won't start again or... Oh, that's so brave of you to fight in the war. And every time in the beginning he tries to say no, that's not the case. But he can't really find the occasion. And at some point he just goes with it. He's like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. I'm Colonel.
1: It's, it, this is what it is. At some point someone asks for his first name. And he goes, Marmaduke. Oh, yeah,
2: Marmaduke.
1: And I'm 90% sure that he made that up on the spot. But... Every single thing, like, even the credits point, that that's just his real name now. And I don't oh. buy it. I don't buy that that was mm. his first name when he wandered in there. I just buy I that he's... think it was, but... he, he No, mm. he, he thought, it, like... I don't know. It's, it's the maybe same maybe thing not. for me as, like... There's that scene in Shrek where... Got, no, no, it's no, no. It's got, listen. Got, where Donkey okay, asks Shrek. Shrek for his name. And Shrek oh. is quiet for like a few seconds and then goes "Oh, Shrek?" And I presume he I I just I I think he made it up on the spot. And it's the same thing here when someone goes, "Oh, what's your first name?" and he goes, "Uh, you wouldn't believe me if I told you." And then they go, "No." And he goes, "Uh, Marmaduke."
2: Marmaduke.
1: <laughs> and it sounds so made up.
2: I don't know. I thought it was maybe maybe.
1: I also have um what, two more quotes. Okay. One of them here, which is Egbert, the man who won Ruggles, saying, "I can be pushed just so far and no further." Uh huh. And what one that I'm absolutely stealing, which is George going, "I say, do you believe in love at first sight?" And the woman going, "No, do you?" And him going, "No, that's why I'd like to stay for a while if I may." Smooth motherfucker.
2: Yes, smooth. Smooth, smooth motherfucker.
1: Hell yeah. Okay, <clears throat>
2: fun facts
1: fun facts I have and they're actually fun facts this time, yeah which is great love we when love that to happens.
2: see that with a movie that is also fun.
1: I have one that's a bit <laughs> it's a bit sad, but it's funny sad, okay, so it was based on a novel, this movie, and the director Leo McCarry was so pleased with the success of the movie that he called up the author of the novel to ask hey. if he'd seen it, and the author of the novel replied, yes, what did you call me for to apologize
2: yo savage
1: (laughs) get wrecked um now i'm gonna take you on a little journey here charles laughton this was his favorite film in which he performed i get that yeah right and it was his first comedic role so he he personally chose Leo McCarey to direct because he wanted his first comedic role to be in the hands of a master of comedy. And because McCarey had directed a, a movie called Duck Soup, which was really good and really funny, he was uh, eminently qualified. And then there's that one scene where Ruggles recites the entire Gettysburg Address. Yeah. A quick little aside for a not so fun fact, Nazi Germany banned the release of any German of dubbed course. version of this film because of the Gettysburg Address, which uh, makes sense, but also... Ugh. So the Gettysburg Address had a lot of personal significance to Charles Lafton because he was considering taking up American citizenship. And that's also why this movie is so, you know, positive about America. It's it's Charles Lafton going, wow, America changed me and Uh it's a great thing. And he referred to his reading of the Gettysburg Address... ...as one of the most moving things that ever happened to me. Aww. The film's editor, Edward Dimitryk, Dimitryk, sorry, says that Charles Lafton became so emotional during that scene... ...that it took director Leo McCarry a day and a half to complete shooting it.
2: I mean, you did see it also in the final cut that he was definitely moved.
1: Oh, yeah. The thing is that preview audiences found his close-ups in that scene somewhat embarrassing... ...and they sort of tittered through the speech... So when they substituted that of shots of laughter from behind, the audience found the reaction shots of the other people reacting to him very moving, and the second preview uh. was extremely successful. Right. So yeah, this was one of the most moving things that ever happened to him, to the point where he recited the address to the cast and crew of Mutiny on the Bounty on the last day of shooting, and again oh. on the set of Hunchback of Notre Dame. This sort of became his thing of like, oh. th- thank you for, you know, An incredible experience. Oh! So yeah,
0: I love that. Yeah, I'm gonna leave you
1: at the end of this movie before we continue on to our final movie with another teeny, teeny, tiny, teeny weeny hint.
2: Ooh!
1: Which is that this movie received only one Oscar nomination for Best Picture. Oh!
2: Only for Best Picture, so only for Best Picture,
1: so it couldn't have won. Did it
2: win? Yeah, okay, okay, gotcha.
1: With that, let's move on to our final movie, Top Hat. Top Hat. I like Top Hat.
2: I have some issues with Top Hat, but it's not necessarily because the movie is bad. It's just because it's an exact replica of the gay divorcee from last year. So it felt like I wasted my time watching a movie I had already
1: seen just a month ago. It's (laughs) slightly different in the sense that this is very much a a screwball comedy of like, it's the whole misunderstanding thing, right? Of like... yeah. It's Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, great combination of people, and they're flirting, but Ginger Rogers thinks that he is a married man, so they sort of, the wife of the actual married man and the actual married man are characters, but Ginger Rogers never meets the actual married man, so consistently everyone Mm -hmm. just believes that it's it's all sort of going past each other, and this is one of the few, like, severe miscommunication comedies that I actually quite enjoyed.
2: But it's the same, because last The Gave It Over was also mistaken identity of the Ginger Rogers character thinking that the Fred Astaire character is a professional cheater, and then he isn't. And so basically, if you break it down, the cast is completely the same. It's not just Fred Astaire and... Oh, no, yeah. Rogers, but it's also the guy that was the friend and lawyer in the Cater yeah. for and the guy that played Tonetti was there, which was wonderful because I love Tonetti and I love this actor, but it is the exact same cast.
0: Mm.
2: Once again, the Fred Astaire character goes to a place where he finds out... That the Ginger Rogers character, who he's fallen in love with, is also accidentally at the same place. In this case, Italy. In the other case, it was a hotel where they were not supposed... They both go there separately. No,
1: no, no. This time he specifically went there because he realized she was going there.
2: Okay, okay. All right. (laughs) Then, and now. the Ginger Rogers character, again, is there with an aunt uh, slash female relative and mm-hmm. does not like him at first, but does get to like him eventually. But there is a mistaken identity thing. So it's like story wise and cast wise, it's so it's it's not the same, but it's so similar.
1: Well, it's really interesting that you say this because Fred Astaire agrees mm-hmm. with you. Hey. He uh, reacted negatively to the first drafts, complaining that it is patterned too closely after The Gay Divorcee, and I yeah. am cast as a sort of objectionable young man without charm or sympathy or humor. Um, so they did a few changes to that. But um, nice on the film's release, the script was panned by many critics who alleged it was merely a rewrite of The Gay Divorcee. Yeah,
2: yeah. Oh my God, getting so good at movie analysis. Look at you. It's not wow. even movie analysis. It's not at all. <laughs> no, but. <laughs> feels good man um jerry who is that is the name of the character that fred astaire plays jerry seeing himself in a mirror while dancing and quickly turning around is a mood Mm -hmm. (laughs) he sees himself and he goes nope um him tap dancing on the horse carriage is a vibe fred astaire character sure love to chase after women that don't want them huh yep (laughs) they dance in the rain which was very cute i mean the dancing doesn't get tiring because they're Really fucking good at it.
1: My favorite quote from the movie is that little bit where she's in the rain under the thing and he comes up and he goes, may I rescue you? And she goes, I'd rather be in distress.
2: <laughs> yes, that's really good. I also noted down that the doors in the hotel are ugly. I don't know why it bothered I me so no, much I that I had to put a... <laughs> um,
1: what I had this issue of like, Italy at the end was, that was just, that was cardboard. That entire yeah, thing yeah. looked horrible.
2: Mm-hmm. The final number was fun, yeah, that was and good. two gay jokes. Haze code where?
1: Mm hmm. Oh, Haze code at the end because they don't kiss. Is it? Th- I forget if it's this one. There is one where they move flowers in front of their faces so that no one sees that they're.
2: Might be. I'm. I'm not entirely sure. I have one quote. That's the last thing I have on this. Oh, yeah, I have two quotes. Mm-hmm. Let me first do this one. I hate men. I hate you. I hate all men. Oh, Caramia, you make a big mistake. I am no man. I am Bedini. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep.
2: Mm-hmm. And this is my favorite. It's so. St- it's such a stupid joke. But Ginger Rogers' character goes, "What is the strange power you have over horses?" And Fred Astaire goes, "Horsepower." <laughs>
1: so yep. so <laughs> no, stupid. I really like I that as well. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So some fun facts. Yals King. So this was composer Irving Birding's first. Complete film score since 1930 hmm. yeah and he negotiated a very unique contract where he held the copyrights and also if the film earned over one and a quarter of a million dollars he would guarantee get 10 percent of the profits
2: okay so That's very unique yeah but I assume that it made that much
1: it made 3.2 million so yeah yeah it managed
2: yeah he got some uh, he got some he
1: got some eight songs from the original score were discarded because they were not considered to advance the film's plot. but one was reused in a later Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movie called Follow the Fleet, and I kind of want to watch that movie now because the song is called Get Thee Behind Me, Satan. What? Yes.
2: That sounds crazy.
1: It sounds fucking wild. So... I might watch some more Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movies. Very good. All five songs that were eventually selected became major hits. And in this September 28th, 1935 broadcast of Your Hit Parade, which is like the sort of like top billboard, you know, top 40 um, Mm -hmm. of the time. All five were featured in the top 15 songs selected for that week.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: This shit was great. So, Astaire and Berlin, like, this success sort of helped restore Berlin's flagging self-confidence. And Astaire and Berlin met on this film and then became, like, lifelong friends.
2: Wait, who... Which one is...
1: Irving Berlin is the composer. Oh, the composer. Right, yeah. yeah. He contributed to more Astaire films than any other composer. Six in Mm, total.
2: Cute. We're just slowly seeing Fred Astaire's whole network forming. Oh, yeah, build
1: up. So... I am going to read you a bit from the Wikipedia. Yes. It's called The Feathers Incident. Okay. Although Bernard Newman was nominally in charge of dressing the stars, Rogers was keenly interested in dress design and makeup. For the cheek-to-cheek routine, she was determined to use her own creation. I was determined to wear this dress come hell or high water. And why not? It moved beautifully. That dress is the dress made of feathers. Due to the enormous labor involved in sewing all of the ostrich feathers to the dress, Astaire, Mm. who normally approved partner's gowns and suggested modifications if necessary for dancing during rehearsals, saw the dress for the first time on the day of the shoot and was horrified at the way it shed clouds of feathers at every twist and turn. Recalling later, it was like a chicken attacked by a coyote. I never saw so many feathers at my life.
2: Oh no. <laughs>
1: According to the choreographer, Astaire lost his tam- temper, yelled at Rogers, who promptly burst into tears, whereupon her mother oh. came charging at him like a mother oh. rhinoceros protecting her young. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the better incident. An additional oh night's God. work
1: by Seamstresses resolved much of the problem. However, if you carefully examine the dance on film, you can see feathers floating around them and lying on the dance floor. I feel
2: like I vaguely saw some feathers.
1: (laughs) Yup. Later, both Astaire and choreographer Hermes Pan presented Rogers with a gold feather for her charm bracelet as an apology and serenaded her with a ditty, parodying the tune uh, from Cheek to Cheek, which went, Feathers, I hate feathers, and I hate them so that I can hardly speak, and I never find the happiness I seek with those chicken feathers dancing cheek to cheek.
0: This
2: is an amazing story.
1: Right? And thereafter, Astaire nicknamed Roger's Feathers. Also a title of one of the chapters in his autobiography. And he parodied oh. his experience in a song and dance routine with Judy Garland in Easter Parade.
0: Oh,
2: this is lovely. It's Great. good, right? They, are, they out have such a
1: good dynamic. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff about the choreographies, which is not wildly no. interesting. What is interesting is that this movie, especially the cheek-to-cheek segment, has been referenced in a lot of films, uh, including Mm -hmm. The Purple Rose of Cairo, The English Patient, The Green Mile, La La Land, and The Boss Baby. (laughs) That's cool, though. It's good, yeah. And this is apparently, like, the most famous dance they've done together. Oh, really? So, yeah. Top hat generally is is their most well known movie. It's it's his second most successful picture after Easter Parade with Judy Garland, which I believe we'll be watching in the nineteen forties somewhere question mark. Probably. No, we won't be watching it actually. Sorry, it only got a best scoring award, but it didn't actually get nominated for Best Picture. Oh boo. Yeah, big boo. Very big boo. Oh, yeah, the gowns that she made are legendary, obviously, but mm-hmm. it's very not often talked about that the dress that she's wearing when she first appears in Venice to meet Mrs. Hardwick, she's wearing yeah. a really, really short dress, which is like 40 years ahead of its time.
0: Oh, yeah,
2: that's true, actually. I hadn't really thought about that. But... Yeah,
1: it didn't occur to me as well, because I was just like, oh, yeah, that's just a dress that people wear. But for its time, that's, yeah, kind of crazy. crazy. mm mm-hmm. The Venice Canal set was indeed built on RKO sound stages, which were interconnected to form a single huge stage with nearly 40,000 square feet.
2: Jesus. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. These stages still exist. They are now part of Paramount Studios. Cool. Cool. Mm -hmm. Alan Scott, who I believe to be, and I'm going to just quickly double check, but I believe him to be the writer on this. Alan Scott. Yes, he's the writer on this. Uh disliked working with ginger rogers because he he referred to her as radically wrong oh. yeah he found that she didn't take the art seriously and
2: um oh Boo. Yeah. Boo, I don't believe this at all. No. If, you're, if you're the only girl that Fred Astaire has said about, no, nah, yeah, she wouldn't cry and all the others would, I think you're taking it seriously. Yeah,
1: he said he preferred to write for stage actresses who took their art seriously, such as Claudette Colbert or Greer Garson, and would rewrite to accommodate their ideas and concerns, but he recalled that there was a time with Ginger, on the other hand, where it got to be a joke. She would say, there's something radically wrong, and you had to go down and see what you could do. Uh, so that's why he used radically wrong as uh, to, right. to refer to her as well, which is stupid. Boo. Boo. This is also the only Best Picture nominee this year to be nominated for Best Song, for Cheek to Cheek. Okay, Which, yeah, banger.
2: Banger. So I think there were bigger bangers in other movies, Broadway Melody. But oh okay. yeah,
1: absolutely. Alan Scott, by the way, this guy also said that Fred Astaire was a snob. Sorry, a hell of a snob even. Oh who could be perturbed very easily by the wrong reference scott said oh, what an asshole that he would deliberately put in wrong lines for a stare to spot and carp about in order to distract him from lines the writers did not want to lose <sighs> horrible
2: oh uh, and it feels so childish
1: it feels so childish right the two minute dance of the piccolino was filmed in one take
2: huh that's impressive
1: yeah mel brooks has said that this is his favorite movie nice hey. nice to have someone else other than hitler say it every now and again finally it's good isn't it yeah uh, a not so fun one uh, is mm. the fact that when the hayes office learned that several actors who were known within the industry to be gay had been cast in this film they sent a warning to rko studios no. uh, warning that they should avoid any idea of actors being pansy in character yeah,
2: gets gets tiring. Why, yeah. when?
1: It's fucking annoying, isn't it? My God. Yeah. Ginger Rogers' shoes had to be frequently changed because they were often filled with blood due to multiple takes of oh. dance scenes.
2: Oh, she doesn't take it seriously. She doesn't take it
1: seriously. Yeah. B-b-b-b-b-b- Get fucked. It's also because they wanted to focus on the dance rather than the camera technique, so they were rarely broken up into segments that could be filmed in small bits. Yeah. So you had to, like, for a multiple take, you have to do, like, it becomes a, the a sort of arduous affair. Yeah, you have to do it again and again yeah. and again. Oh, yeah. Same as the gay divorcee, the Italian character in this was so offensive to the Italian government that they banned it.
2: Yeah, I can see that.
1: <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. The director wanted a little something extra to cap the film, uh, so at the end, when they're going down the stairs and they break into dance while they're going down the stairs, that was a, like a, a thing that was thrown in at the end. And they both didn't really like that because they didn't want to just start dancing without rehearsal, mm-hmm. but they tried it anyway. And as Fred pivoted Ginger around him, his top hat came off and nearly plunged into the canal.
2: Ooh. not a top hat.
1: Yeah. Well, so he, Esther yelled, no, no, no. And he kicked the wall really hard. And she was like, okay, that's uncharacteristically heated of you. Uh, but then she realized the cause of his anger, which was that he had neglected to put his toupee on under the hat. So when the hat came off, oh he... no, <laughs> yeah,
2: Fred, no, poor guy.
1: And my um, <laughs> my my final fun fact for this movie, again a Fred Astaire fact, is that the finale of Top Hat, White Tie and Tails, which is the dance that he dances in in the in the show, mm. at the end he mimes his cane as a weapon, attacking his supporting dancers. And 13 canes were prepared for that. But during shooting, Astaire, ever a perfectionist, was continually breaking his canes in frustration. No. It was very concerning to the crew because they were running out and the shooting of the scene was finished with the very last cane of the bunch.
2: Oh my God. So. That's a way of (laughs) breaking the fucking canes.
1: Hey, rather take it out on the canes than on your co-stars, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's our movies.
2: Oh my god. We're through. Oh my god. That's our movies. But we're not there yet. Not quite. No, no, no.
1: Because we have. I'm going to check if we have any honorable mentions. Yes. We definitely have at least one honorary award. Okay. Uh, let's really quickly give out the honorary award, which went to D.W. Griffith, uh, who was an American film uh-huh. director it went to him for his distinguished creative achievements as director and producer and his invaluable initiative and lasting contributions to the progress of the motion picture arts
2: wait i know him for sure
1: almost certainly but i have no clue what from oh he directed birth of a nation
2: Ah, uh, okay that makes sense
1: yeah uh which is you know mm-hmm. a very interesting movie, film. but a very racist movie yeah. Very glorifying of the Ku Klux Klan.
2: I think it's mostly I had I had to learn about him for sure in uh Oh, yeah. Birth of a Nation College. is
1: it's a society-shaping movie.
2: Uh-huh. But, uh,
1: yeah. Oof. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it didn't shape society in a very good way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I have made an honorary mentions document.
2: Whoa. Yeah.
1: It's kind of crazy. Look at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a few movies that came out this year that I thought were kind of interesting. One of them being After the Thin Man, the sequel to the Thin Man, which came out oh. in it came out in 1936, really, but close enough.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Bride of Frankenstein, which I had stood as well. Yeah, really interesting. I love me some monster movies. I love me some Frankenstein, and I certainly love me some Bride of Frankenstein. So hell yeah, hell yeah. Well, the best short subjects seemed fairly interesting. Again, the uh, short subject cartoon went to Disney because, you know...
2: Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. It went to
1: an animated short film called Three Orphan Kittens, which next year, like in 1936, got a sequel which was simply called More Kittens.
2: More Kittens. Which... (laughs) When you don't have any inspiration anymore.
1: I dig it. So yeah, without further ado... Without further ado... Let's hop into our top twelve.
2: Oh my god! Yeah, uh, shall we just not even gonna
1: agree to stick Naughty Marietta in twelve?
2: Mm, let me double check. I think so.
1: And Captain Blood on eleven.
2: Wait, wait. Ah, <laughs> uh, I might not put Captain Blood there, but yes. Oh, um, you,
1: you're going to put Copperfield on eleven?
2: Yes, yes. Right. Twelve Naughty Mar- Marietta, and then. 11 David Copperfield. It was not bad, but just going pure on personal taste. That's
1: fair. Yeah, I'd probably yeah. put Captain Blood there and then Copperfield above it, just slightly. Yeah,
2: I think 10 would be Captain Blood as well for uh, Yeah,
1: would be Captain Blood. Yeah, okay. So. Uh, uh,
2: yeah, Oh, it's hard. It's kind of hard. Nah. It's hard because oh, uh, yeah.
1: it's not very difficult for me to get the bottom ones, but the rest, are, there's some really good ones in there.
2: Yes, yes.
1: I think next up for me. I'm going to go with Alice Adams at 9.
2: I'm also thinking of Alice Adams, but I think just that it will was... be my number 8, and my number 9 will be Top Hat, because it, anno- it annoyed me so much that it was the same movie. That it's a retread. Other than yeah. that, it's it's good, but it pissed me off so severely That's that fair. it has to be 9, and then 8 is Alice Adams.
1: Yeah, I'm going to stick uh, 9 on Alice Adams, and then 8 on Top Hat. Again, not because I, I think Top Hat was a really good movie. I just think yes. that, you know... Both Alice Adams and Topaz have this issue of being really good movies that were completely overshadowed by mm-hmm. the rest of the, the movies rest. on this list. Uh huh. Because from here, then it gets interesting. It gets really yeah. difficult. Yeah.
2: Okay, seven for me. Again, just a taste thing, not objectively mm-hmm. probably in the lower ranks, but uh, a Midsummer Night's Dream.
1: Yeah, I think seven for me is going to be Bengal Lancer
2: wow yeah i know wow. again wow. not wow.
1: because i thought it was a bad movie at all i i liked it a no lot, I, get it. But I get it i get it Whoa.
2: well i'm gonna piss you off now because my number six will be mutiny on the bounty
1: you are uh wrong <laughs> just wrong
2: sorry man
1: number six. Oh god oh this is difficult um mm.
0: you can
1: do it no the worst thing is that I might actually have to agree with you. <gasps> no, surely not. Mm, I'm so sorry, Ruggles.
0: Oh,
2: Ruggles. Ruggles
1: in six. Okay. This is the first time I felt bad leaving a movie out of my top five. <laughs> so if anyone's wondering what the best year has been so far, it's this one. Yeah. Not like as in it hasn't reached the highs of previous years, but it's been yes, more it consistently quite... good.
2: Yeah, that's true, that's true.
1: None of these are wings, you know, but... None of these
2: are wings, or 42nd Street, I know you don't remember. It wasn't that good.
1: (laughs) Good.
2: My number five, we're, again, we're getting into the really good Mm -hmm. movies, but it would have to go to the Informer for me. I thought it was really cool how experimental it was, but...
1: Yeah, I'll I'll stick Informer in five as well. Mm -hmm. And then number four can be Mutiny.
2: My number four would then be Ruggles of Redcap.
1: Yeah, my number three is gonna be. Wait, what do I have left?
2: Uh, Les Misérables, Broadway melody, and one that I don't have because oh, I Midsomer haven't Night. done. Oh, Midsummer
1: Night. Yeah, number three is gonna be Midsummer Night's Dream.
2: Okay. Oh, well, I don't know between the top three. Fuck. Uh...
1: Number three is gonna be Midsummer Night's Dream. Number. Two is going to be Lemmy's, and number one is going to be Broadway Melody.
2: Broadway Melody, okay.
1: It was too good. Paired with the fact that I wasn't expecting it to be good, right? If Because Lemmy's Habla, mm-hmm. I was expecting to be good. So when it was good, I was yeah. like, yeah, this makes sense. Broadway Melody, I went into that going, oh, God, I'm going to have to watch the fucking Broadway Melody. Yeah, And then it blew me the fuck away, right? So, yeah, that's why it takes over Lemmy's. But realistically... Any in my top five or even top six could shift at the yes. drop of a hat, right? They're that good.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm really torn, man. I Because Lives of a Bengal Lancer, I know, wasn't necessarily that good creatively, but I had so much fun with it. Mm-hmm. But Lemise was this thing where it just said some really important things while also being really enjoyable. Uh, yeah, I think... For the fact that Lemise is a little bit deeper, I'm going to put Lives of Bengal Lancer on three, Lemise on two, and also I got to put Broadway Melody on one.
1: I cannot believe. Could you you imagine Mm -hmm. before this episode, like uh, uh, us going, oh yeah, Broadway Melody is going to be number one? Not for a single second, right?
2: No, me neither. Though I have to say Lemise is also close because. Get, uh, yeah. it's just really hard oh, it so Free for me is, uh, could all be, all be number one yeah but...
1: the, the worst thing about Broadway Melody being that the previous one won Best Picture and the, yes, we, know, and this one we know this one didn't and that is frustrating as fuck because this one was Fucking so much rude. better but then again the the film industry generally was a lot better the previous one really won because it was a, a talkie and that yes. was you know wild at the time and here yes, it, just, true, it true. just wasn't that special anymore so out of these 12... Well,
2: talking about who won, yeah, let me... Who... Have a
1: have a guess. So, quick recap of your hints, right? Yes. I'll give you the movies that received multiple nominations. So... Yes. Eight nominations for Mutiny on the Bounty. Seven for Lives of a Bengal Lancer. Six for The Informer. The Informer did, in fact, win one, but it was denied or declined. Yes. Five nominations for Captain Blood. Four for *Lemmy's Midsummer Night's Dream, and Top Hat. Three for The Broadway Melody, David Copperfield, and The Dark Angel. Two for Alice Adams and Naughty Marietta. Dark Angel is one that we didn't watch, but it's in my list, okay. so I quickly mentioned it. Um, and out of all of these, Broadway Melody didn't win. Yes. And there was one that was only nominated for... No, I forgot which movie it is, but there's one that was only nominated for one.
2: Yes, true. Only I for Best Picture.
1: Either. I think it was. It might have been Ruggles, actually.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, it was, it was Ruggles. Ruggles was only nominated for Best Picture. It
2: was Picture. Ruggles, okay. Uh, I don't know if... Having a lot of nominations says something about, okay, so it was nominated for a lot of things, so they thought it was a good movie, so maybe it won. Or it has so many nominations that it's kind of weird that it didn't win anything else. So I'm not sure how... hmm. I'm just gonna... Okay, let me see. Captain Blood, no. The Informer, maybe, but it seems a little bit too artsy still in this era. Lives of a Bengal Lancer, usually I'd say no, but it was pretty popular apparently. Top Hat, maybe. Midsummer Night's Dream, also possible. Lemise, also very possible. It's not Ruggles. It's also not Alice Adams. It could be David Copperfield. Would not surprise me. It's not Naughty Marietta. And I Mutiny on the Bounty, eight nominations and only winning one. Uh, could be... Oh, I'm definitely going to have it wrong anyway. There's too many choices, but There's twelve, I think yeah. Yeah, I think I'll go with Lemmy's. It's the most, you know, for the Handliggens.
1: Shall I run you through it really quickly? Yeah. So, uh, Best Assistant Director was won by The Lives of a Bengal Lancer. Okay. Best Dance Direction to The Broadway Melody. Best Film Editing to Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, which also got Mm -hmm. Best Cinematography as a write-in. Okay. Best Sound Recording was for Naughty Marietta. Best Scoring for Mm -hmm. The Informer, which also got Best Adaptation uh uh-huh. which you know again refused yeah best actor went to Victor McLaglen in the informer best director went to the informer nice and the oscar for best picture Whoa. goes to mutiny on the bounty fuck <laughs> Yup. eight nominations and it won one of them
2: one of them yeah oh, uh,
1: the last man. film the last film to date after broadway melody and grand hotel to win only best picture and nothing only else only
2: best picture them so Lemise didn't win anything at all?
1: Lemise didn't win jack shit, no.
2: Bro, Yeah, that's a hard disagree on that one. I
1: fully disagree on that one. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, huh. to be fair, what was it gonna win? Besides, like, like maybe Best Director. Actors? But yeah, but like...
2: Frederick March again? <laughs> yeah,
1: but versus versus uh, Victor and. In...
2: Yeah, okay, fair enough, I guess.
1: The Informer was just, you know, it was artsy enough to take pretty much everything except the...
2: Best picture, yes. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Well...
1: So, yeah. One of the greatest films of all time with the epic sweep of the sea itself. Hollywood, at its very best, the story certainly could not have been presented as powerfully through any other medium. This is one of the most important productions since the inception of Talking Pictures It is grim, gripping, and pictorially perfect.
2: Well, that's a lot of praise. It's a lot of praise, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I'm not angry. I'm not too angry about it. It's all right.
1: right. It's it's a top six movie for me. It's fine. Like I said, my top six is very sort of very flexible. Um,
2: I think my top three, for me, is mostly top three. And it didn't quite make that. So...
0: Oh,
1: a
2: little fair. bit, little bit pissed off, but not too much. We've had worse. We've had yeah. worse things win.
1: <laughs> this is, as well, I believe, the first historical to win a best picture.
2: Oh yeah. Well, so, does Cavalcade count as a historical?
1: I don't think it was a historical. No, it's too
2: recent, I guess, because back when that was made, it that was recent. Yeah, that For was us, like now. It, now it's a historical, but yeah, but then it was. It just was sort of like then.
1: The past. It would be yeah. like if we now made a movie about, like, 2010.
2: Yeah, exactly. Wouldn't, wouldn't yeah, yeah, be yeah, a yeah.
1: historical in, in this sense, so.
2: No. All right. Well, very good year. Very, very good, good year. year.
1: So, yeah, um, next year we have um, however many. No. There's 10.
2: A- but I believe,
1: I believe I have a uh, an imposter movie in there.
2: Okay. Okay. That's so all good. There, there it's might still be a, one less. It's one less. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, this was really, really fun. Before we go, happy holiday. Well, by the time this airs, the holidays will be over, but it's still going to be New Year. So happy, yeah, New, happy Year.
1: New Year, everyone! <laughs> happy. What holidays do we still have left in January? We've got a Ju- Julkansplündring is happening on the 13th, which is the Swedish holiday where you toss out your Christmas tree. So hey! hey, hey. Oh uh, yeah! Yeah!
2: yeah, yeah. We have the three kings. I don't know what the translation three,
1: three, uh, of is. Yeah, three I don't exactly know exactly what that yeah. is either. Ghana. Happy Ghana on the 7th. Mm-hmm. Happy Kwanzaa. That lasts until the 1st. Hey. Happy Makar Sankranti. That's on the 15th. Uh-huh. A lot of holidays still still to come in January. So happy, so happy them. And we <laughs> hope you've also had a good Sinterklaas, Christmas Hanukkah, Santa Lucia, Yule, mm-hmm. Christmas, Kwanzaa, New Year. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And on to um,
2: a new year of many movies.
1: Yes. Uh, Should we (laughs) quickly note that this fully depends on when the Oscars end up being, but there might not be an episode in January slash February, depending on how many movies we are going to have to watch for that. Uh, And instead, there will be an extra long bonanza of us talking about all the Oscar nominated movies for 2023. And um, Yes.
2: There's definitely going to be an episode on the 2023 Oscars, yeah. so we'll just we're just going to figure out, I guess, yeah, how we will work around it. It
1: might happen that that one is just like twice as long, and therefore yes. th- there won't be a regularly scheduled one, and we'll pick that back up starting in yeah. in March or something. But um,
2: we'll figure it out. We'll You'll figure see. that out. We'll, You'll we'll see. We'll keep you up to date. You can. You know what? I'll keep you all up to date on our Twitter. You can check. Uh, sorry, it out if on you your want. on our what now? On our X. Ex- <laughs> on
1: our oh yeah okay okay I was worried because I didn't know you know. Uh, you can also check out our Instagram Reels and our YouTube, and shorts. YouTube Shorts, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll keep you all up to date on. Yeah, exactly everything.
2: Because for the um, the Oscars of free well, twenty twenty four awards, we are watching not just the Best Picture ones. We're, We're going, all of them. yeah. Every I usually skip. Movie. No, I'll, no, I usually skip like documentary. And yeah, whatnot. but that's but because we do watch you most of the... are a
1: pussy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay okay well goodbye <laughs> goodbye
1: see you next year thank you very much for listening we'd like to thank our wives of course as always and the academy and um we'll see you all we'll next see year you in
2: 1937
1: bye-bye yeah.
2: bye-bye thank you for listening to episode 8 of i'd like to thank my wife New episodes are out every last day of the month. If you're looking for something to watch this month, I recommend Alien, a movie that upon a rewatch once again proved to be in my top 10 movies of all time. Tigo recommends The Marvels, the new Marvel movie starring the best Marvel character, Kamala Khan.